realistic um, <laughs> practical effects? Do you watch a lot of movies? Um, not a lot. <clears throat> watch them. Oh, Baldur's and hit the button. We're live 11 seconds in. So Welcome right. to Weaving Spiders, everybody. <laughs> I didn't see I that. Said I hit the button. Okay, well, now it is so, 8 p.m. Uh, Central Time. We're early tonight. We got. We, we, we've got an exciting... Oh, You got it, SB. There we go. Well, uh, I had my uh, my YouTube window open, so I was getting a delay. Folks, uh, welcome to an early rendition of Weaving Spiders Welcome, and we're going to play the introduction video here in just a minute. But we have an exciting show for you tonight. Uh, Jerry Marzinski has agreed to join us, and he does amazing work, but we're going to have it be a big surprise and tell you about that when we get back. And um, so... Boy, I would just uh, I'd play that introduction, Alan, and let's uh, let's leave them hanging on the edge of the seat. I think that's the way to start. It'll be loud and obnoxious. We're warning you now. We're gonna get some energy. Huh? <laughs> Everyone awake and excited. <laughs> I'll take my. So, yeah, please, off. please. Yeah, that's a good idea. I do that sometimes. Please share the link out and uh, invite people if you want them to enjoy a good show tonight. Let's make sure I rewind the tape here the tape <laughs> don't you want devoted followers who leave their families for you give their money to you give their bodies to you give up their lives for you consider you God and will kill for you I love you don't you want to become a cult leader You can tell that for Here is how. Structure yourself like a onion with the most benign helpful features on the outside and the most controlling, twisty, and evil parts of the secret inner core. Use deception. Don't tell them who you really are. Lie. Leave out important information or distort information. Are you trying to recruit me? No. I'm just trying to share something meaningful. Establish your front group. Promise to fulfill their dreams. Don't you want to work with them? You need to have should act friendly and interested. Get information and hold their weakness. And then use this information to manipulate them. Gradually over time, you'll begin to shape their receipt's behavior by granting or withholding attention. After they've bonded, slowly start making your demands upon them. The message feels. 
nothing in this world has value unless it relates to the leader or the ultimate purpose. Control the behavior. Come live with us. Where are these clothes? Eat this food. All you need is two hours sleep. Prescribe a rigid schedule.
prolonged hours of meditation. In these trance states, they are more receptive and suggestible. Revert them back to childhood dependence and mindless obedience.
think we're ready to begin. <laughs> Those guitar solos can go on forever if you let them. Oh, man. <laughs> Great video. Yeah, welcome to the end of the introduction. Welcome back to Weaving Spiders. Welcome. I see Jerry, Jerry was smart and took his headphones off. I took one ear off. That was an aggressive introduction, Alan Marcus, but I think appropriate for our time here. Um, folks, I'm going to go ahead and just read the short uh, bio that, uh, that Jerry sent me. Um, Jerry Marzinski is getting to be pretty well known out here on these internets. But uh, it says here, Jerry is a retired licensed psychotherapist with over 40 years of experience working with and studying the thought process of psychotic and criminally insane patients in some of the most volatile psychiatric institutions in the nature. <clears throat> Jerry is a commercial pilot, certified scuba diver, and long-distance motorcyclist. He's held a position of second lieutenant in the Arizona Civil Air Patrol and assistant scout master. He was awarded the State of Arizona's Meritorious Service Award and the Pima College Apple Award of Teaching Abnormal Psychology. <clears throat> His formal academic training comprises a BA in psychology from Temple University, a master's degree in counseling from University of Georgia, and two years of study in a PhD psychology program. He's the co-author of An Amazing Journey into the Psychotic Mind, along with uh, Sherry Sweeney, Breaking the Spell of the Ivory Tower, and is currently, oh, there's a mistake there, currently has a private practice in Arizona. All right, so. And there's more than that, but, you know, we're, we're not going to ramble on, Jerry. You've done a lot, and we appreciate you joining us tonight. So, Well, I, I got some questions for you guys after watching that introduction. <laughs> well, yeah, well, we're, First we're, of all, where did you come that, up that, with That's not all of us, Jerry. Site? That is not all of us, sir. <laughs> so, where where did you come up for the name of this site? And what was that introduction? Well, I didn't understand anything of it. Sure. That's, that's what is it what was that all about? King Crimson played that in 1969 and blew everyone's faces off and they weren't ready for it. That's the power of rock and roll. And I'd like to maybe talk about <laughs> music in terms of energies and vibrations and how it can raise a vibration, how it can lower a vibration, and who are some of your favorite bands? <laughs> what are my some of my favorite bands? Yes, what's what's some of well, your favorite music? I, I like the Eagles. Um, nice. I like um, uh, what is it? Steamroller. Who's it? Um, what's their their first name? Some something Steamroller. I think I heard of that one. So, um, the Eagles. Yeah, I'm familiar. Eagles. With the Eagles. Yeah, the Eagles. Uh, what else? Um, oh, no pressure, Jerry. If, if more pop up, like, can tell us. Music like has gotten piano to the point music. where it's just crazy. Music is, is it Mannheim Steamroller? Yeah, Mannheim yeah, Steamroller. Man okay, yeah, guys. yeah. Yeah, Mannheim yeah, yeah. Steamroller is pretty See, cool. I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit older than you guys, so you know, my my favorite music goes through the 60s into the 70s. Probably stuff you guys never heard of. 
Oh, they yeah, had no, plastics I mean, back then. The good stuff. I, I'm a musician, great. so I got a lot of that stuff under my belt. But I understand the. And I want to. I want to answer your question since it looks like uh, you know Alan. Alan Marcus is the one who produces these introduction videos. The rest of us, <laughs> if we if we have any input at all, it's probably to say, well, don't make it 20 minutes, only make it 10. Um, and uh, you know, I think Alan's <laughs> intention is to give us that slightly off kilter feeling to just bring people out of their norm. Now I'm speculating. I've never asked. Yeah. Alan, well. Well. That, well, it did that. Exactly. <laughs> what, shake, shake, yeah. shake some people what, up. What was that up. guy saying? What, what, what were they saying? I didn't so, understand anything so of what they were that saying. That is from a video which I believe to be a parody video of a cult training video. So the idea is if you want to be a cult leader, follow these steps and then people will be attracted to you as a cult leader so with right, these so. cults and new age groups and these charismatic figures a lot of them have a platform online and they get a large following just because they're very confident and they tell people what they want to hear so they might say some truthful things they might dip their toes into the bible and christianity and tell you just enough that you want to hear but at the end of the day they're probably grifters probably just want to take your money and ultimately not really there to help you so that's what that introduction was all about it's sort of it's sort of a warning to say that there's a lot of bad advice on the internet and when people go on the internet to ask well what is schizophrenia are they getting the actual answer are they no, getting the no. true answer <laughs> exactly Fuck no is a great answer <laughs> for the and most so Jerry, part no to answer so, your so other where question did the, where did the weaving spider yeah, web thing come from gonna, where, where did it have, so and, there's and a the, there's the a member that's spiders uh, welcome where, where where's that all from there's a there's a member who's now absent who doesn't join us anymore uh, who's the co-founder of the stream along with the gentleman there uh, Jim um, and his name's David Barsky and David Barsky uh, came up with the uh, the the title Weaving Spiders Welcome Here and the reason for that is because um, at the famous uh, California Secret Club uh, the Bohemian Grove Club which I'm sure you've heard of um, you know I've it's kind of like them. a right secret elite club where they get together and make their their plans and stuff apparently there's a sign outside of the bohemian uh, grove club that says weaving spiders come not here and so barsky's idea was to make it open and inviting instead of uh, being wary of and afraid of the spiders to say well if you want to be a spider and weave you're welcome to come here and weave with us and so that's the we're that's the ones the they're afraid of yeah, that, that was Barsky's idea. It's, it's from and, Shakespeare. Okay, there's a quote in Shakespeare talking about weaving spiders come not here and that sort of thing. So it kind of gets lost over time, where there's an original meaning and it means something, and then over time it sort of gets lost what the actual meaning is, and then in a realm of conspiracy where people want to be afraid of things, they'll point to Alex Jones taking a video camera into a place in California where politicians meet up and then maybe plan to take over the world, this sort of thing. So we took that and said, no, we're, we're taking it back. We're going to make it positive. We're going to free the minds of people from bad ideas and try to explore positive ideas that set people free and allow them to be all that they can be so it's got a positive connotation but we have to sort of trudge through the shadows to kind of identify what is 
kind of bad and what is the shadows and how do you do shadow work and is it even a good thing to expose yourself to dark entities and try on schizophrenia for fun or try drugs to see if you can communicate <laughs> with spirits and no no you don't try on schizophrenia for fun it's no fun right so where you guys want to start let's start with schizophrenia not being fun <laughs> it's hell yeah it, it's hell on earth you know imagine imagine a voice in your head 24 hours a day telling you you're stupid you're ugly you're gross nobody likes you everybody's talking about you people are plotting against you you know and it sounds like your own thoughts and you don't know any better yeah that's scary because psychiatrists the psychiatric mafia is saying you oh, these are hallucinations yeah. now everybody has a thought stream in their head that is rambling all the time blah 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 blah, blah this that the, the news the, blah, 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 telling you stuff that you already know over and over and over again you know and most people believe that's who they are if that's who they are that's who you are then then who's listening to that bunk it's a great question well that's so, us right <laughs> well that's i mean that i i uh, i appreciate that's you saying that. that jerry because that's a that's a big part of what's helped me to not not identify with negative thoughts and to kill that uh intrusive you know voice and i know that when we get to the level of schizophrenia, then it's absolutely overwhelming to the point where you're not able to, to parse reality. But all of us have at least some experience with intrusive negative thoughts. Oh, yeah. And, um, and I had a counselor help me to, to pretty much that same thing that you just said was the, the beginning of me really being able to, to change that. And what she told me was to cancel it. To say out loud, cancel or stop, use some affirmative, just like your friend Sherry Sweeney says, you know, that's a lie. That's a lie, right? right? Some kind of interjection right. that that stops it. And then my counselor taught me to also add some kind of mild, believable affirmation to myself, a small compliment on top of the cancellation process. Because whatever that higher self or is, the 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 consciousness that's witnessing the voices and the things that are going on that's a mystery but if if you can get to it then for me i found peace that was the beginning of finding peace like oh i'm not this rattling rambling thing of interjections and contradictions there's something quiet and still that can be the observer of all of this instead of right. being identifying with it so yes yeah, see we're taught from the time we're we're kids that you know every thought that comes into your mind belongs to you that's dead wrong. Right. Matter of fact, Emanuel Swedenborg says no thought that comes into your head belongs to you. It either comes in from the dark side or it comes in from the heavenly side. You're the chooser. You know, you're the you're the radio that receives these thoughts, and you receive them at the at a frequency where you're at right now. And the higher the frequency, the less of the negative thoughts you get. You know, the lower the frequency, the more of the negative thoughts you get. Just like the Native Americans say, you've got a wolf on each shoulder. You know, the one you feed is the one that's going to grow. 
things. So these these negative entities, they're around us all the time. They're swarming all over the place. Each of us has two negative ones assigned to them and two positive ones, two, two angelic guardian angels. So Manuel Swedenborg, he lived uh, 300 years ago. He was one of the top scientists of his day. He was the chief mining engineer for the Queen of Sweden, made her a fortune. He was also precognitive. He, he knew stuff that was going to happen in the future. Um, he was a, a top scientist of his day. And at age 50, he reported that Christ came to him and said, okay, knock off all the scientific stuff. Knock off studying about the world. You know, it's basically an illusion. I'm going to give you access to heaven and hell. And I want you to go there, talk to the entities that are living in both places, and then come back and write about it and tell the world about it. You know, tell them what you see in heaven. Tell them what you see in hell. And he did that. He wrote scores of volumes. Uh, the the most common one, the, the, the one that's probably more understandable is the one called Heaven and Hell by Emanuel Swedenborg. So he's the one who came back and said, you've got two guardian angels assigned to you, if not more, and at least two demons assigned to you. And they're, assi they're assigned to destroy your life. And they hate the human race. They can't stand humans. And they're also parasites. So what they do is they they may, they do their best to get you upset, and then they suck your energy. And you could see that with schizophrenics. Um, you know, I started questioning them about, I noticed that uh, when I first went to work at one of the biggest psychiatric hospitals on the planet, is that after these voices attacked them, they didn't have any energy. It was gone. But they didn't use it. They were just tossing and turning in bed all night. And yet they're, they're reporting they're as energetically drained as if they were working in the hot sun all day with a, digging uh, uh, holes with a pickaxe. They were totally exhausted, had no energy after their voices attacked. I didn't know what that was all about, you know, but it was consistent. You can talk to any schizophrenic, ask him, how much energy do you got before the voices come? How much energy do you have after? And they're drained. So there was a one-to-one -one correlation between the voices appearing and the, the patient being drained. So they didn't realize that until I brought it up and asked them. You know, and once I, I heard it from one, one schizophrenic, I started asking all the others. And there was no lack of schizophrenics at the state hospital. There were plenty to work with. And all of them were reporting the same thing. Once the voices come, their energies vanished. So the question was, where did it go? And, and who took it? I suspected the voices took it. They didn't know. So I'd, I'd ask them, uh, hey, you realize, you, you know that before the voices come, you have a fair amount of energy. After the voices leave, how much energy you got left? They say, none. You know? So I said, well, where did it go? And they go, I don't know. <laughs> that was a common answer among scores of them. I don't know. And I would say, well, if you stuck your hand in a fire uh, a thousand times and each time you got burned, what's burning you? 
they didn't have any trouble with, hey, yeah, it's the fire. But if you rephrase that and you go, okay, you've been hearing the voices for years. They've come thousands of times. Every time they attacked you, you didn't have any energy left. Where did your energy go? They go, I don't know. You know, it, it's, it's like they were being blocked from that awareness. Every once in a while, one would go, the voices took it, you know. I didn't know where it was going. I, th- I thought for years that that energy drain was due to the negativity of the voices. You know, they're, they're always saying horrible, nasty, rotten things. 24 hours a day, these guys are listening to this bull crap in their head, and it's always negative. So I went, well, if I was listening to that for 24 hours a day, I probably wouldn't have any energy either. You know? But one day when I was working at the uh, state prison, in the psychology department, you know, and it, it helped, <laughs> I want to say it helped to be a, uh, uh, what do you call it, an adrenaline junkie <laughs> with these investigations. If I wasn't an adrenaline junkie, I don't know if I could have done this, you know, what I was doing. But I was assigned to a very rough unit and also the jail for the prison. So the jail for the prison, the central detention unit was where all the bad guys from all around the prison would go to this jail. So they were the worst of the worst in there. And I was assigned to provide psych services for that place. And uh, one day I, I came to work and here was uh, uh, an inmate letter on my desk saying, hey, listen, I'm, I'm locked in this little cell with this psycho. He's standing over me at three o'clock in the morning. He's staring at me. He's talking to himself all day long. He's getting in arguments with himself. You know, he's driving me nuts. You've got to do something to help me. And he, this guy's locked in a little 10 by 10 cell with this other guy. So I go to the computer and I, I punch up this guy's record and to see um, what, the, what was going on with him. How come he was in that unit? And it turns out he was there for protective custody. What he did was snitched off the Aryan Mafia, a nasty prison group snitched off one of their drug deals and they wanted him dead because they broke up that gang. They, they got confiscated all their drugs and they spread all their members through prisons throughout the state. So that was devastating for the, this gang, these gangsters. They wanted him dead. They'd already stabbed him once. He was there for protective custody. They wanted him dead so bad that some of them got into trouble enough to be sent to the central detention unit. They kept getting in trouble over and over. And they got sent there. Their purpose was to kill this guy. So they only let them out one at a time. And they would only let them out one hour a day to go out in this fenced area to get some sunshine. So they couldn't physically get to this guy. But what were the, what they were doing was throwing notes under his door saying, we're here. We're going to kill you. First chance we get. So here are the gangsters out there waiting to kill this guy. And he's locked in there with a Fleming uh, uh, paranoid schizophrenic that wasn't medicated and out of control, locked in this little 10 by 10 room. And the thing, the guy's staring at him at three in the morning, just standing there staring down at him. So he didn't know what this guy was capable of. I mean, you couldn't be under much more stress than that other than a war. And that's what I thought. 
That's why I thought the energy left because these guys were being stressed by the voices. But I, I, I went over there and I called the, um, I called the, the sane guy up first, the guy who wrote me the, the inmate letter and uh, watched him come up the steps. He had plenty of energy. He didn't have to use the handrail. He just kind of bounded up the steps and walked briskly over to the interview room, but near the control room, sat down. His speech was coherent. It flowed. Uh, he was nervous. He was anxious. You know, he was a little bit depressed, but he had he had plenty of energy. You know? Then I, I after I was done with him, uh, it said, you know, I, I don't have a lot of power as a psych. You know, the, the people who run the units have the power. I'll see what I can do to help you out. Um, let him go. And then I brought the schizophrenic up. He, he, he barely made it up the steps. I mean, he had to use the handrail. He shuffled over to the office. He sat down. He slumped. His speech was slow. He was extremely depressed. He didn't have any energy. I asked him, how's your energy level? He said, it's, it's, it's virtually non-existent. Yeah. So after I saw those two guys, I walked out of there and I went, it, it's not, it, it's not the, the, the voices telling them bad things. There's something else going on here. There's something else that's draining these. It's, it's not the anxiety. I thought it was the anxiety. I thought, you know, if you're hearing that crap 24 hours a day, you, you know, it, it would get to you. I walked out of there and went, it's not that, you know, so, so what is it? You know, I didn't know what it was, but I knew it wasn't the anxiety. So that opens up another thing. Okay, start looking for something else. And uh, what I started seeing when I, I started working the biggest psychiatric hospital on the planet. I mean, there were 10,000 patients there or so when I got there. It was the size of a small city. You know, it had its own uh, generator plant. It had its own uh, food factory. It had its own heating heating. Uh, thing that he heated the whole whole complex, um, and there were these big brick buildings that were stories high. And I I remember when I first got there, um, you know, I, I was interested in abnormal psychology, and there was every known mental illness to man in there. So you know, I was like a a kid in a candy shop. You know, it's like wow, look at look at all these. I get to look at all this stuff for the first time, because in in college. You know, what I hated most about psychology is you couldn't verify anything those buzzards were saying. Here you read book after book after book, and they're telling you all this stuff, and you have no way to verify it. The only thing you could verify in psychology was, was abnormal psychology in undergraduate, where you could go into a rat lab and you could start running these, you know, schedules on these rats and watch the behavior change into the predicted pattern that they said it would. Everything else, you're just taking their word for it. You know, it's like, and I wasn't very trusting. I didn't trust authority at all, you know, due to my upbringing. And that stuck with me. So, you know, one of the first things I saw was I didn't like being given all this stuff to memorize and regurgitate when I had no way to prove it. I had no way to see it. I had no way to check it out. It's just like, hey, just believe us. We're the psychologists. We wrote this book. You just believe what it says with no way to check it out. Yeah. I didn't like that. 
And I remember uh, one one paper that they gave us. Uh, there was a clinical psychologist that wrote that if, if two crazy guys met each other and, and both of them thought they were Joe Biden, one of them would have to change. You know, one of them have have to change his delusion to something else. And I'm like going, even as an undergraduate, I'm like, why would that have to happen? They're both crazy. Why would one have to change? It doesn't make any sense. But of course, we had absolutely no access to any kind of clinical population. We couldn't get into a mental health center. We couldn't get into a mental I may assume hospital. That's not me. What's I that? I still see Sean and Jim moving, or is that me that's gross? That must be on your end. Yeah, yeah, I think you're all right, Ben. Okay. Sometimes Ben Ben's up in the mountains, so sometimes his connection's a little uh, a little buggy, and uh, he's just trying to make sure that we're not completely frozen up here. So, okay. We are streaming to Rockfin and YouTube tonight. Thanks yeah. for tuning in. We are an hour earlier than our normal time, so people are joining us in chat. Appreciate that. We're gonna let Jerry continue here. Okay, so. Um, I, I, I couldn't prove or disprove that. So I, I stuck it in this little chest I have in the back of my mind and I go, you know, one day I may be able to find out about that because it didn't make any sense. So fast forward 10 years, I was at the state hospital and I remember when I first got there, it was, it was, it was weird. I, I took a walk at night and it, it was in Georgia. The air was balmy. Windows were open and you could hear these screams come out of those buildings. They would just, they would just, it was like banshees just streaming across the, the open areas there. But anyway, I was on the second floor of this psychiatric unit. And, you know, I was in, I was in charge of the psych services for that unit, the rehab services. And um, I saw this guy I hadn't seen before. So uh, I didn't know him. And he was he was talking and looked like he was talking to himself. And what they had taught us in, in college was that the voices were hallucinations. So when you think about hallucinations, you think about, okay, word salad. They don't make any sense. They're just garbled, crazy nonsense. You know, that's what I thought they were. But patient after patient I saw that were documented as hearing voices would be carrying on a conversation that looked like they were talking to themselves, but they were arguing with somebody else, like, like you were watching one side of a telephone conversation, you know? So you could hear the person talking, but you couldn't hear what was coming in. So I was thinking that the, the voices were, when you say they're hallucinations, they're like word salad, they don't make any sense, but I was seeing something very different. You know, they were carrying on conversations with these voices. They were lucid conversations. They were coherent conversations. They weren't word salad. They were, you could, you could hear one side of the conversation. You know, there was one woman that was, she was arguing with the voices that were telling her to, to leave the hospital grounds and carrying on an argument with them as she was walking off the hospital ground saying, I don't want to do this. I don't, this isn't a good thing. And she's arguing with the voices as she's leaving the hospital grounds. Not, not with uh, medical permission. So I crept up behind this guy to see if I could hear what uh, 
you know, what was what, what he was saying, you know, to, to these voices. And he caught me. So I'm, I'm standing behind him. He caught me and he turns around and he looks at me and he go and I go, hi, I haven't seen you before. You new to this unit. He said, yeah, I just got here a couple of days ago. And uh, I said, well, what's your name? And he looks me in the eye and he goes, I'm Jesus Christ. And I thought about this a second. And I looked him in the eye and I said, no, you can't be Jesus Christ because I am. And I'm like waiting. OK, what's he going to do? You know, <laughs> what's he going to do here? The, the, the clinical psychologist says he's going to change into something else. Let's see if he does. So he, he kind of cocks his eyes back and he's kind of thinking about it like, you know, and then he comes to a, a decision. And he looks me in the eye and he goes, well, we can both be Jesus Christ. And he just strolls off. And I go, okay, another lie, you know, what, what else did they lie to me about? You know, so it was thing after thing, after thing, after thing. The, the next big lie I caught was that schizophrenia was a biochemical imbalance in the brain. Okay. That's what we're all taught. We're all brainwashed to believe that all the way through college, all the way through graduate school, into the PhD program. Yeah, it's a biochemical imbalance of the brain. All mental illness is a biochemical imbalance of the brain. So I was working shoulder to shoulder with psychiatrists all the time. And and what I saw was that if this if, if mental illness and especially schizophrenia was a biochemical imbalance of the brain, it would seem before they started dishing out all these toxic medications of theirs that they would need some kind of baseline as to what chemicals in the brain were out of balance or by how much. They didn't have it. I never saw one, you know. I'm like, well, how, how can they treat these people if it's a chemical brain imbalance if they don't know what's out of balance or by how much? You know, so I never saw them give any lab work, any blood work, any EEGs, any EKGs, no kind of definitive test, no, no kind of... A, uh, objective test before they started dishing out these these psychiatric drugs, which are toxic. You know? And finally, I, I, I said, one of the psychiatrists, I said, how, how do you know what you're treating if you don't have a baseline? How do you know what's out? Of, there's like, you know, 26 or so different uh, uh, neurotransmitters in the brain. How do you know which ones are out of balance? How do you know which, how by how much? How, how do you know what's working and what's not working if it's a chemical imbalance? And he goes, oh, we, we let the, the, uh, the pharma, big pharma, the, the drug companies, they, they figure all that out. We just dish out the drugs. And I'm like, what? You know, I'm thinking, are you nuts? It's like letting the, the fox loose in the hen house. You know, it's a, they had no baseline. Not only did they have no baseline, they didn't even know what the chemical balance of the brain should be. And here they are proffering, putting out all this, all this propaganda that mental illness and schizophrenia are a chemical imbalance of the brain. You know, that was, that was staunchly disproven. The, the drug companies were making $4.7 billion a year selling antipsychotic, antipsychotic drugs alone and another 4 billion selling any any uh, depressant drugs a year, you know, that that bullcrap that mental illness was a 
chemical imbalance came from a drug company called Eli Lilly in the 70s when they came out with Prozac. Yeah. So they, they were kind of going, oh, well, you know, the, the, we, we need some kind of explanation, you know, for why these drugs work. So they made one up. They just made one up. Oh, it's a chemical imbalance. You know, we, we pour these drugs into people's brains and uh, uh, it, it seems to do something, you know, quiets them down somewhat. So it must be a chemical imbalance of some kind that, that these medications somehow balance. No, they knew it was a lie at the time. They went with it anyway. And then the universities, which were taken over by the Rockefellers back in, you know, the 19, early 1900s, they made it illegal for universities in the United States to graduate medical doctors if they didn't go through a pharmacology program as a, a, with a pharmacological basis. In other words, all medicine, all, 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 everything wrong with you can be treated by drugs. You know, so they were stuck in this physical scenario. And never, never did I, in the eight years of higher education I've had in, in undergraduate and graduate school, never have I ever heard them mention the spiritual aspect of man once. It's all physical, you know, but we're spiritual beings. You know, these are cars. It's like we're driving cars. We're driving bodies. You know, if, if your spirit left your body permanently, you'd be dead. You'd rot away. You know, it's a spirit that drives the body. It's a spirit that sees, that hears, that feels, that thinks. It's not the body. So their solution for everything was some physical drug. But the voices are not physical. They're energetic. You know, thoughts are not physical. Yeah. Uh, memories aren't physical. Uh, Feelings aren't physical. Hearing, seeing, and 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 the, the, those senses are all run by the spirit. You know, you, you talk to you. You can talk to these uh, people who died and come back, and they all say, "Yeah, I could hear perfectly. I could see better than I ever saw before. I could see 360 degrees. I could see things sharper than they ever were." You know, so that means that. The physical body actually mucks up, you know, your your physical senses, the senses that you have. So the voices are energetic. Thoughts are energetic. You know, schizophrenia is driven by thoughts and feelings. Okay. So since these entities that drive schizophrenia are non-physical, it's almost like getting a magnet with a big magnetic field to get a big magnet. And the voices are equivalent to that magnetic field. You can't see it. You can't feel it. I mean, most guys, most normal can't, normal people can't feel a magnetic field. They can't see it. They can't teach it. They can't touch it. Um, for, for all practical purposes, we can't detect it. Same thing with those voices. You know, the schizophrenics can hear them because they're the schizophrenics that are a lower vibrational level. The rest of us, for the most part, can't. So what the psychiatric mafia is doing is equivalent to taking 
thorazine and dumping it on a magnetic field and expecting that magnetic field to disappear. It just doesn't work. Now, that doesn't mean that magnetic field isn't there. If you get a, bo a bottle of iron filings or, and you put that on the magnetic field, then you will see the, the magnetic filings take the form of the magnetic field. Okay. But Thorazine or, or none of their, their, their physical chemicals are going to change that magnetic field. So what they're doing is drugging the brain. You know, so the brain is like the radio receiver. It, it's like it takes in the station that you're on. It takes in the frequency that you're on. If you're at a very low frequency, that station is tuned to a very low frequency station. You know, you get the, the these uh, some of these shamans and the yogis and those kind of guys. They're tuned to a very high frequency. You know? So. Like Tesla says, it's all frequency and vibration. So schizophrenics are at a very low vibration. So Swedenborg is telling us that all of us have two guardian angels, at least two, and we have two demons assigned to us also. Okay? And he says those demons are aware of everything you're thinking. They know. And if you think something bad, they jump in there and they pour gasoline on the fire. So if you get mad at somebody, they'll tell you to go punch him in the face. You know, if, a, uh, if somebody says something you don't like, they'll tell you to go beat the crap out of them. You know, you normally don't do that. But what they do is they just try to make it worse. So they feed off of that negative emotional energy. And that's where that energy goes to. When the schizophrenics say they don't have any energy, it's because these voices are draining them. And they drain all of us. So I don't know if you guys are into kinesiology or not, but if you were to put your arm straight out and you, you thought a good thought and had somebody push your arm down with your pinky and you're thinking a good thought, most likely they wouldn't be able to do it. If you had them concentrate on the worst thing that ever happened to them, and then you get your pinky and push it down again, your arm will drop like a, a, a limp noodle. Okay. So negative thoughts bring you down. You know, they invite these things in. And they, 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 what they want is they hate the human race. They, they, they thrive on us suffering. You know, there's nothing they like better than making humans miserable. And they do that, they can insert thoughts into your mind. When you get to a, a certain frequency, they can consistently insert thoughts into your mind. But they hit us all. You know, like all of us have been walking down the sidewalk, minding our own business, and then all of a sudden you get this horrible thought that, that it's nothing that you know belongs to you. It's nothing you would ever act on, you know. Um, People report, you know, I was standing on a bridge and, you know, looking over the edge and the thought came to jump. You know, um, I, I talked to one preacher who's standing on the edge of the Grand Canyon. And this guy was the uh, he was he was <laughs> he was a heavenly type guy. And uh, he had the thought to jump. Yeah. Uh, I remember one time in, in Arizona here, we don't cut grass with uh uh, very few people have grass. What we do is go out back and we 
use a, a machete or something to cut back the, the cactus. So I have a, a beautiful white um, husky. And she was running by. And as I, I was cutting this cactus, this thought came into my head, cut her head off. And I was horrified. I was like, what? Where'd that come from? And it, it was upsetting just to think that thought. You know, so they were feeding on that. You know, I knew it didn't come from me. I knew where it came from, but it was upsetting anyway. It wasn't anything that I would ever think on my own. It was never nothing that I would ever do. You know, so they hit us all. You know what they and what's so dangerous about them is that we're all taught from the time we're kids that every thought that comes into your mind belongs to you. That's far from the truth. You know, if you believe that these things, what they do is they put these negative thoughts into your head and you believe that's you, then you do something, something rotten and then you feel guilt about it and they jump in and go, yeah, you're rotten. You should feel that guilt. You know, so they, what they try to do is aggravate all the negative thoughts you may have. You know, they, they, they also with, when you get down to a, a low enough vibrational level, they can, they have access to every negative thing that you've ever done. They can pull that stuff up and rub it in your face until you get anxious, until you get negative. And, and then they, they drain you of the energy once you get anxious and negative and start feeling guilty. And, and you know, all of us go through that, you know, it's like, Oh, why did I say that? Uh, did I hurt that person? Or, uh, well, what do they think now? Or And it, it just goes around and around and around and they just keep feeding it, you know. Now, when you look at the animal kingdom where, you know, a lion chases a gazelle and it gets its, its you know, paws on it and, and almost brings it down, but it escapes. You know, as soon as it gets away from the lion, the lion's no longer a threat. It just goes back to doing its normal stuff, eating grass and just being a gazelle. It doesn't sit there and go, oh, I'm terrified now. I, I, I don't know what to do. I, you know, and go on and on and on and on. That only happens with humans. And it happens because of these negative entities that are assigned to us. They keep that going. The longer they can keep it going, the more they can feed off you. And now look at all the wars going on in the planet right now. It's a hog's trough for them. They love the misery of the human race, you know. Well, you guys got any questions? I've been gabbing and babbing and babbling now for a good while. I mean, <laughs> what, oh, yeah. well, well, we're just we're just enthralled. I mean, we've all got questions, Jerry. I was curious how you first ran into Swedenborg. Um, he's such a fascinating character, and it's interesting that he was uh, kind of a material studier of the world, and then God came to him with a message to. Uh, well, I mean, it was more than a message. It was an, a, an enduring experience, if I remember correctly, that he oh, it yeah. wasn't like the, he had an the, afternoon. Like for years, he yeah. was experiencing the higher realms and being exactly. required to, to. So how did you first find uh, Swedenborg? Well, the first time I, 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 I'd never heard of Swedenborg. You know, I went all through college and graduate school. I'd never, never heard of him. And one time, one day I was over at a friend's house. And this guy was a staunch Catholic, you know, it, it was, uh, th that was it, it was staunch Catholic. And I, I walked through his living room and I saw this book on his, uh, on, on one of the, um, what do you call it? Those, those little shelves, uh, near, near the sofa. And it said Emanuel Swedenborg. And here's this drawing of this guy, you know, it looked like he was from the, you know, 
16th century or something like how they looked back then with the, yeah. you know, the, and I'm, I'm going, I looked at it and I asked him, I said, well, who, who's Emanuel Swedenborg? And he goes, Oh, you don't know about Emanuel Swedenborg. He said, Oh no, you need to know about Emanuel Swedenborg. So he, he lent me the book and I read it and I was fascinated, you know? So after I read that one book, I started getting other books written by, by him. Okay. And started uh, studying his thing because it made sense. I mean, what he was saying made sense in view of all the experiences I've had. It's like here, here's he was putting it all together, you know. And what I noticed was that when he went to his visitations in hell and spoke to these evil spirits, those evil spirits were matched one-to-one with what I was seeing with the schizophrenic voices. I mean, it was one and the same thing, okay? And I'm like, that's odd. And, um, okay, when it, when it went from there, when I started, when I started, uh, when I started studying the voices, I saw that they were running patterns, you know, and if they're running patterns, they can't be hallucinations. You know, hallucinations don't run patterns. All right. So one of the first patterns I found was that they were consistently negative. You know, every schizophrenic I talked to who was hearing voices told me they were negative. They would they they would say you're no good you're ugly you're rotten you're stupid nobody likes you you know uh, you're you're never going to amount to anything it was every rotten thing that you could ever think of to say to somebody these voices were telling these patients hard nothing nothing good and what I found out later if they did say something good it was only to come around and stab them in the back later so I'm like okay if these things are supposed to be hallucinations. Hallucinations are all over the place. I mean, I've seen them. <laughs> I mean, I'd seen them. They're all over the place. Some of them are good. Some of them are bad. Some of them are neutral, but they're all over the place. They're random. This was not. This negativity was a fixed, standardized pattern that all these schizophrenics I talked to were reporting that these voices were consistently negative. They didn't swerve from that. They weren't random. You know, they ran a consistent negative pattern. So the next question in my mind was, what holds them onto that pattern? Why aren't they random like all other hallucinations? And that was a puzzle. You know, it's like, why aren't they all over the place? It's a running a pattern. So what holds them to that pattern? What force holds them onto that negative pattern? Why don't they drift off of that pattern and 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 go positive, negative, and everything in between? Why do they hold on to that pattern? You know, and what popped to mind was uh, there was one movie I watched one time. You asked about movies. It was called The Enemy Below, where uh, an American destroyer was chasing a German U-boat. And from time to time, they, he would lose that U-boat. But when once the U-boat got free of the destroyer, it would head on to a certain course and it would resume that course. And the... Um, the destroyer captain knew that. So he would just go back onto that course until he caught up with the thing, you know? So 
that's what these things were doing. They were running a specific course and they didn't bear, they didn't waver from it. So that was strange. Okay. Um, and that's what, that's exactly what Swedenborg was saying. They're negative. They hate the human race. They're vile. They're disgusting. They're, they're abusive. They're destructive. Okay. So here's a one-to-one -one pattern. Okay. So all these, these other patterns started emerging. You know, the next pattern I saw is that they were anti-religious. So I had, uh, I remember it, uh, in the state hospital once I had a patient come up and said, hey, you know, when I say the 23rd Psalm, the voices react like worms thrown onto a hot frying pan. They can't stand it. And I said, that's interesting. You know, why would a hallucination care about the 23rd Psalm? You know? Right. So I started asking these schizophrenics, you know, what happens when you go to church? You know, because a lot of them knew something was wrong and it had something to do with evil. I mean, they could feel it. So they would think, well, if I go to church, that would that might negate it. So I started asking them, what happens when you read the Bible? What happens when you go to church? And what happens when you repeat the 23rd Psalm? And three categories came into being. The first one was if the voices were weak, they would disappear when the person walked into the church. They wouldn't, they wouldn't go in there with them. If they were of moderate strength, they would get louder and they would try to block the patient from hearing what the preacher was saying. They'd start mocking the preacher and, and, and saying all kinds of stupid stuff. You know, um, the third category was where the voices were so strong, they would actually drive the client out of the church. I mean, he would get up and run out of the church. Like his like his hair was on fire, just bolt out of there. Okay, so um, what I started doing was handing out the twenty third Psalm to other schizophrenic patients, and saying, "Say this when the voices come, and come back and tell me what happens." The voices hated it. They got louder. They tried to make him stop. You know, and I'm like, "Well." Why would a hallucination care about them reading the 23rd Psalm? Why would a hallucination get louder when they walked into a church? You know, why would a hallucination interfere with them reading the Bible? You know, it didn't make any sense. You know, so here was a second pattern. And I talked to scores of schizophrenics and they were all saying the same thing. You know? So that was a second pattern. So. Here were these patterns that were fitting what Swedenborg said. Okay. Um, they foster and create negative emotion. All right. So they want the person negative. They want them feeling angry. They want them feeling anxiety, paranoia, guilt, and shame. They want you to feel that because that's their food. That's what they feed off of. So they'll do everything they can to, to, to make that happen. All right. Um, so here was a, a, a third pattern that Swedenborg had mentioned. So I started wondering what would happen. And, and there's 23 now. If you go to my website, cherrymarzinski.com and go to articles, you'll see the whole list of 23 patterns that these, these voices run. Right. So this flies in the face of what the psychiatric mafia is saying. If they're running patterns, they can't be hallucinations. Right. So 
what what they were wanting that, that this is to regress a little bit back to the um, uh, biochemical imbalance thing. You know, they started they 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 didn't have any any cause for schizophrenia. They didn't know what caused it. You know, so they started making stuff up. The first they started blaming the mothers. Oh, mothers did something, or they fed them the wrong food, or they treated them such or such a way, or it's the mother's fault. You know, the mothers went, hey, wait a minute, we didn't do anything. You know, the, the, no, you know, you could, you could, they could see that, you know, they, they could see that. People could see that the mothers didn't do anything. So they had to jack it up into an area where people couldn't investigate. You know, so they came up with the genetic, it, it's genetics. You know, it, it, the genes are wrong. The genes are bad. They got away with that for about a decade, you know. Oh, yeah, well, we'll just take their word for it, you know. Everybody believed it was the genes. They started publishing, yeah, it's genetics. And then when the geneticists couldn't find a schizophrenia gene, then they switched it to, oh, well, it's not just one gene. It's a bunch of genes. They all interact. And so it's virtually impossible to find an answer to it. So, you know, the geneticist said, we don't find any genetic trace to mental illness there there is there's no genetic anything so that that lie was out of the question now you know now there are familiar spirits that follow these people through, through generations but there was no so they freaked well we need something else now we can't we can't blame it on genetics and and we can't sell our drugs if we don't have something that we're selling them for so they came up with the biochemical imbalance theory so they could keep selling their drugs and move the see how many biochemists are there taking and, and and they moved they moved it from something observable to something that most people including psychiatrists and medical doctors and most professors and most biochemical people w- would not pay any attention to you know they go oh well the, the authorities say it's this so we believe it you know but when they when they came out and it and it came out as a lie this biochemical imbalance thing was a total lie. Then they freaked, you know, well, what do we do now? You know, and they're still pushing it today, even though it's been disproved, they're still pushing it today. And in, in the, you go to the internet and you'll see, well, it is believed that schizophrenia is caused by a chemical imbalance. It's believed that it's caused by a genetic thing. They're still pushing it, even though it's been disproved. They don't right. want anything interfering with their, mm. billion they're making in in the in in your book at the beginning of the book too you talk about how they were approaching it like it's a germ you know like they think it's like a you know at the very beginning of the book there's some interesting stuff where they're spinning people around in chairs to make them sick to get the symptoms to go away temporarily and um you know this uh it seemed like they they used it in the early stages there that they used a lot of uh techniques that would shake the patient up so physically that temporarily you get a relief of, uh, of symptoms. And then they would call that well, some kind of progress. Well, you know? well, it wasn't, it wasn't a relief of symptoms for the patient. What it was, was a relief for the hospital staff. Right. Right. That's okay. thank you for so, correcting so me. The, right. Yep. The patient was still hearing the voices, but y- all of you had spun around until you got dizzy. I don't know if you ever spun around enough to get sick. You know, but you all know what it's like to, I mean, if you've ever been on the ocean and got seasick. Yeah. But that's what it's like. After you get seasick and you throw up, you feel like crap. 
you know, you don't feel like causing any trouble, you know, and that's what they were doing with these guys. We'll make them sick and then they don't cause us trouble. Right. Wrap them up in towels and keep them in a bathtub for days on yep. end and all this weird stuff, you know. Yep. You know, give them uh, uh, enemas of all this different kind of crap that they they did. Uh, so so spinning them was was too much trouble. So they they started giving them emetics to make them sick. You know? Right. Like then, Epicac. You know, yep. Once they're sick, they don't feel like causing trouble. They want to go to bed and lie down. They're still hearing the voices. They're still psychotic. They didn't cure anything. It was just a relief for the staff. Right. Okay? So they did all these different things to, to to try to drive away the the, the symptoms. Um, nothing, so, so the worked. voices are draining the energy. Then the mental health facility staff members are draining the remaining energy. Is the point just to get these people to no energy? So they're just... Yeah, so they don't bed. cause trouble. Yeah. So, you know, these phenothiazines were a marvel for, for the psych institutions. So, you know, here's these drug companies saying, oh, we got to charge these astronomical prices because it takes us years and years of research to come up with these drugs. I mean, uh, you know, we have to pay expensive people and stuff. The phenothiazines, the antipsychotics were discovered by accident in a German dye lab, you know, where they dyed clothes. You know, the staff were getting gorked out and the, the French came and they extracted the phenothiazine out of that dye. And they would use it for operations, you know, to when you, you get an operation, they'd use it for that. Uh, they'd use it as a, a painkiller, you know, and uh, somebody got the bright idea that, hey, if it if it sedates regular people, what would it do to schizophrenics that are driving us nuts? So they tried to get permission to use it in the psychiatric institutions in Europe, but the um, the Freudians controlled those institutions, and they go, no, no, you're not going to do that here. So they took it over to the U.S. They got some psych institution to agree to to give their population these these antipsychotic drugs, and they were all gorked out. They were sitting around staring off into space and drooling. They weren't causing any problems. They loved it. You know, it was a sensation. Oh, we don't have to fight them and and and, and put them in straitjackets anymore. You know? Yeah, that's a, there's a lot of equipment hurt. showing restraint and everything. Right, it's a really big challenge to try to physically contend oh, with psychotic yeah. people. You know, yeah, Baldwin actually has specific information about that because of his own personal experience. I think he was wanting to say well, something I, about it. Yeah, they can. Jerry and I for. Jerry and I had actually talked about it for just a minute beforehand because Seroquel is one of the big antipsychotics and uh, the system, they started giving that out for seizures. And the other big thing that they were given was uh, uh, benzodiazepine. It's a uh, clonzepam. And yeah, so yeah. those are the two things. That, yeah. And like Jerry was just saying, I literally, well, I jumped up to 260 pounds. I couldn't move around. I couldn't hardly think. I literally would drool occasionally. Drool would I just like? Is that fucking me? What the fuck is going on right now? <laughs> and oh, I, <laughs> and which, which was just horrible. Um, what? And a question I wanted to ask uh, you specifically about that is: so I've heard you talk about uh, methamphetamine having a. Uh, uh, 
spirit to it. Uh, that the numerous uh, the people that use enough methamphetamine to eventually start having regular hallucinations are hallucinating the same thing. Uh, this pattern that you're talking about just now. Um, so that would then can, you know, lead one to believe that in that drug that they're uh, taking in, that the spirit exists in that drug. Now, I've also read a number of books about like ayahuasca, where they say uh, numerous people on ayahuasca, uh, you go down, if you go down to South America and do it, uh, a bunch, almost all these scientists had all encountered this uh, panther, feminine panther spirit that uh, was tied to the land. And so over and over again, these people encountered that spirit. If you look at DMT, uh, DMT, lots of people talk about the machine elves again and again and again. Uh, do you think that all these drugs then have a spirit necessarily attached to it? Like, uh, do you think that uh, the things that are considered hallucinogenics have that? Like, if you look at mushrooms, mushrooms, you don't really ever hear a, a similar thread, even though that one's one of the more widely used ones. You don't hear a similar thread to necessarily a spirit or a hallucination. So I find that fascinating as opposed to like DMT where so many people over and over talk about the machine elves or the things like that. Um, so I just want you to expand on all of that. And then I want you to also talk about whether you think that part of what they're doing is, is actually maybe imbuing into these drugs, a spirit being aware of that and imbuing into that, and then that's somehow countering and doing something that overrides whatever other things in the ones that are successful? Or is it throwing in with it? Uh, but please can talk about what you okay. think about all of that. Yeah, let me put that on hold for just one second and, and return to your Seroquel experience. So you know, Seroquel, is, they used, it, was, it was being used at the state hospital when I was there. It's an antipsychotic drug, okay? It, it drugs your brain, and it, it has the experiences that you, you said. But it also, with long enough use, like all the other phenothiazines, it shrinks your brain. You know, what they're finding is that on the autopsies with patients who have been taking antipsychotic drugs for a long enough time, their brains are shrunk like walnuts, right? So when they, when they found that in the autopsies, you know, they, these, these honest researchers came out and said, listen, you know, we're, we're, we're doing autopsies on these, on these deceased schizophrenics and all their brains are shrunk like uh, walnuts. We suspect that these antipsychotic drugs are at the root of this, you know. And when they published a paper on that, the, the psychiatric mafia and, and big pharma were, oh, no, 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 it's not us. It's the schizophrenia. It's the schizophrenia doing that. You know, but the researchers like went, okay, well, We'll do it on rats and monkeys and see if their brain shrunk. And sure enough, their brain shrunk too. Okay, So these antipsychotic drugs are actually doing physical, neurological damage to these patients with long enough use. Now, when that, when that neurological damage becomes bad enough and the shaking starts, you know, the akinesia, the, the neurological damage starts manifesting, then they turn to clonopin that they gave you. To, to subdue those symptoms 
to, to try to make those disappear so they can go on rotting your brain with the antipsychotic and you don't feel the neurological symptoms. You, know, you don't feel the effects of your brain being rotted out. You, you know, want to know what's it's most diabolical. fucked up? Is, I, I didn't state this at the start, but what's most fucked up is I wasn't prescribed this for uh, mental conditions. I was prescribed this as an anti-seizure medication because I have Wilson's disease. So I have a copper. I don't process copper correctly. And eventually I'll have a grand mal seizure from it. And this was all these things were given to me as anti-seizure medications. And then they put me in prison for using cannabis to treat seizures, even though those medications they were giving me, I would still continue to have seizures. It did knock them down. I, I went from having, you know, numerous seizures a day to uh, when during time periods, because I go through time periods where something happens, like maybe I ate too much of something with copper in it or whatever. And uh, I'll be seizure for a while. Uh, I, during those times, it would knock it down to like one or two, but it didn't in no way stopped it. Whereas opposed to when I was free and then I just moved to a state where cannabis was legal, then that stopped it entirely. And I function, I don't drool. That's really nice. Um, <laughs> and I don't have seizures. Yeah. They don't like that. Because they're not they're not selling you that drug, but the state takes care of that. They they extract their part if it's a legal marijuana. They they tax it heavily, you know. So to go back to your question, is there a, a spirit associated with these drugs? I know in the prison, the prisoners called uh, meth the devil's drug. You know that they all called it that, and that for good reason. So I remember I was working in the prison when meth became uh, popular and all these all these prisoners started coming in uh, with meth related crimes. You know, they did something crazy and stupid on meth and uh, they were seeing something called the shadow people, which I've never heard of before, you know, or, or not very frequently. So they were seeing something called... They were three-dimensional shadows that usually didn't have any faces, right? For the most part, um, they weren't all humanoid shape. Most of them were, you know. Some of them were kind of creatures. Some of the uh, humanoid shapes had hats on. They had shapes. Uh, what do you call it? Capes. Um, it, it was pretty strange. So I started asking them about these shadow people. Uh, and like, what are they? What do they do? How do they act? Do they talk? Do they say anything? They told me, no, they don't, they don't say anything. They just show up. They can walk through walls. They, they usually end up in standing at the foot of a bed or, um, you, you just see them out of the corner of your eye and they just scare people. They, they don't, they've never hurt anybody that I, I knew of. And I, I talked to you know, scores of, of uh, uh, schizophrenic prisoners who saw the shadow people, they weren't sure what they were either, but they were scared of them. And what they told me is that what they did is they move in on you. If you're paying attention to them, they know that you can see them and they start moving toward you. And I never talked to a prisoner as tough as all these guys think they are who hung around long enough for them to get there. They all took off, you know, so I didn't know what would happen if 
they ever got there. Uh, I talked to one um, schizophrenic girl who said she could feel them walk through her. So one walked through her and she could feel it as it walked through. That's the most I ever got about them hurting people. But I noticed with um, when I went to work in the emergency rooms doing psych crisis that these psych people would come in and uh, using meth and they were able to see the, the eyes on these things that the great majority of, of people who saw these shadow people didn't see any facial features. But some of the ones that were really far gone, that were really heavy meth users, could see their eyes. And they, they said their eyes were either lime green or red. Neither one of those colors is a good color for eyes. <laughs> so whatever they were, I didn't think they were good things because usually they scared people. You know, but they never physically harmed them they just terrified them um you turn on the light and they're gone yeah um you know and they they would they would just walk through walls they, they you turn on the light they're gone uh they they would come and go they usually would stand at the foot of the bed and just look at the person freak them out and uh the schizophrenics were seeing these things also you know, which was interesting. So not only were the meth guys seeing them, the schizophrenics were seeing them. So one day I was talking to one of the prisoners and he said, oh, uh, we ran an experiment to see what they were. What he wanted to know is if two guys are, are looking at these shadow people, are they seeing the same one or are they, are they each individually, are they hallucinating individually? Okay. So what he did is they, they went out to one of the Indian reservations south of Tucson here and with meth and they were injecting the stuff at night, you know, and to, went down a dirt road, found a real isolated spot. And the first guy shot up the meth and then started seeing the shadow people. So he, he the other guy stayed straight. And he started seeing him and he goes, do you see that one over there near the cactus? And the other guy goes, no, I, I don't see anything. How about the one over there? No, I don't see anything there either. So they determined that they needed the meth to see these things. Okay. So the other guy shot up and then they, these things started appearing. Okay. And remember I told you when you pay attention to them, they start moving in on you. So here are these two guys pointing them out saying, do you see that one over there? You know, well, What's he doing? Okay. And then the other guy said, well, he's doing this. He's moving to the left or something. So they came to the conclusion that they were both seeing the same ones, that they weren't individual hallucinations, that they, they collaborated. They could both see the same shadow people at the same place doing the same things. So here they are watching these things and pointing this out to each other while they're all moving in from the desert. So they look around and they're surrounded by these things and they freak out. So they go, they jump in their truck and lock the door. So they're sitting in the truck watching these things and uh, they're moving in. And all of a sudden they, they said they felt the back of the truck go up like a giant boulder had been dropped on the truck and the, the back of the truck went down, the front of the truck went up. Now that this, that was disconcerting to me because I didn't think these things could affect physical reality. And here's a report that they've made a truck jump virtually off the ground by pushing the back of it down. So I'm like, 
Well, if they can do that, what else can they do? You know, but that was a report from one meth addict, you know, and I didn't have it corroborated anywhere else. So it was like something I stuck in the back of my mind and went, if they can affect physical reality, that's trouble. <laughs> you know, that's a problem. Um, so what they did is they, they uh, after the, that thing happened, they started the truck and they drove out of there, said they almost wrecked a truck. And I asked the guy, I said, did they stay in the back of the truck? Did they follow you? And he said, no, they didn't. You know? So. The closest I ever came to uh, now, I don't I don't know whether this was a shadow person or not. But there was one guy. It was Christmas Eve. I was on duty in the emergency room for psych crisis at the county hospital. And this guy comes in. It was a quiet night. There wasn't a lot going on. There were a lot weren't a lot of people coming in there. This guy comes in. He's shaking like a leaf the whole night. He just shaking. He just couldn't sit still. You know, it was like he was shivering from cold or something, but he just couldn't stop shaking. So pull him in and and start looking him over to see what the deal is with him. What are we going to do with him? And uh, he said, uh, I'm using meth. And I said, how long have you been using? He said, I've been injecting for 10 years. And that got my attention because he should have been dead long ago. And he wasn't. So I'm like, why isn't this guy dead? So I started asking him all these questions. I said, uh, do you see the shadow people? And he goes, yeah, I see them. He said, uh, what do they look like? And he described exactly what they were like. I didn't give him any information. So they, um, I said, did you ever see their eyes? He goes, yeah, I, I, see, I saw their eyes. I said, well, what color were they? Now, I knew what color they were. I wasn't going to say anything to him. He said, they're red or lime green. I said, okay, <laughs> this, this guy's been there. You know, so I actually use those eyes as a clinical indicator because if they could see the eyes, they were in much worse shape than the people who couldn't. Right. And, uh, you know, that was just a, a, a telltale sign. Um, so just out of curiosity, I asked him, have you ever heard them speak? Because nobody I ever talked to out of the scores of people I talked to about the shadow people ever heard them speak. They were always silent. They would just stand and look. They wouldn't say anything. And this guy, yeah, I, he said, I heard him speak. And I said, well, what'd they sound like? And he described this high-pitched, squeaky sound, like the closest I could come to it is rubbing your feel, fingernails down a blackboard, something like that. It just give me the shivers, just, just to have him mimic that sound. So I was like, you know, well, then, then, you know, being a, a, a curious uh, uh, adrenaline junkie, I asked him, well, what did they say? You know? And as soon as I said that, he stopped shaking. He went stark still. He's looking at me straight in the eye, and his eyes were black. His pupils just got huge. And I could feel this intense, cold hatred just coming out of him. And if you had to translate it, it would be like, I'd rather slit your guts open and throw them all over the room than say another word to you, is what I felt. I had never felt an intense hatred like that in my life, ever. And I'd been working with psychotics for decades, never. 
you know. And it, it totally freaked me out. But you can't show fear to these guys. They, you don't. It's like showing fear to a dog. You turn around and run, you're going to get bit. You have to sit there and just face them. And this looking at this guy's eyes seemed like it was going on for eternity, you know. And I'm like, my God, when is this going to end? Because it it was just this stark staring, this stark evil in the eye, and having to just sit there and watch it. You know, just stare it in the eye. Finally, boom, disappeared. It went. He went back to who he was before that thing came. His eyes went back to normal, and he started talking the way he did, and he started shaking again. You know, and I'm like, free, I'm freaked out, but I wanted to know what they said. <laughs> so I went, okay, I'm going to try this one more time. And I asked him, I said, what did they tell you? And he said, they told me to go jump in front of a truck and I wouldn't get hurt. And I said, well, what'd you do? He said, well, I went out to the, the, the road. I jumped in front of a truck. I got hit. I got knocked off the road. And when I woke up, they were all standing around me, looking at me, saying, get up. You're not hurt. And I said, well, what happened? He said, I got up and I wasn't hurt. They told me to go do it again. So he went and did it again. He got hit by another vehicle. Same thing. They all surrounded him, said, get up. You're not hurt. And he got up and he wasn't hurt. You know? And um, then I, then after I got that, I went to ask him another question. And that thing came back again. Same thing. You know, he's, this, he went stark still. He stopped shaking. His eyes got black again. And it was like whatever this was in here was even angrier than it was before. You know, I could feel it. It was, The intensity had increased. And it's like, holy cow. It seemed like staring into the eyes of this thing. It seemed like it went on forever, you know, but I couldn't break away. You had to, you had to stare it in the eye because uh, who knows what it would have done if I would have run. So after he went back again, I went, okay, I've had enough. <laughs> I'm not going to ask another question. So I, I let him loose, started writing up my report. The nurse, the psych nurse came in like five minutes later and said, I can't deal with this guy. What'd you get out of him? I, I, I'll write my report based on what you found. You know, so that's as much as I know about the shadow people. I still don't know exactly what they are. The Indians saw them. They called them the watchers. Um, I don't know if they report to other beings or, or um you know what they were so you know all about the watchers over here yeah so i don't know if there's they're not just associated with amphetamine they're also associated with schizophrenia but uh they don't call alcohol spirits for nothing it there there's a spirit associated with alcohol and there was one day uh i was, I was working in the prison and, and at that time in the, in the minimum security unit, which is for me was like a relief. It was like a vacation. And there was this Apache Indian who was so violent up on the Apache reservation up north that the Apache police were sending him straight to prison. And he virtually skipped Alhambra, the classification unit, and just came straight down to my unit. And I'm watching him crash through all these units where he should have stopped came straight through to my unit. So 
the next day I called him in and again, there, there was this, he hated white guys. He hated white people. And yeah, I could just feel that hatred on him. Just asked him a few questions and then, uh, you just, you, you could just feel it. And I said, okay, I'm the psych for this unit. You know, you're on psych meds. I'll be calling in one, I'll calling you in once a month to see how you're doing at least. Right. And then I let him out because I could feel that same hatred. I could just feel it. And, uh, you know, after about six months, I got to where I could actually talk to this guy. And he was a chronic alcoholic. And he would tell me about all these spiritual things, spirits chasing him, casting spells on people, uh, fighting with spirits, um, all, all this weird stuff. You know? So one day when he was telling me these stories, um, he was the closest thing to like a skinwalker I'd ever I would ever get close to. I mean, he, he probably wasn't a full one. And if he was, he was an evil one. And, um, you know, he's telling me some of these stories and, I, and what he could do and how he could cast spells on people. And uh, I had already gone to the head of the Native Americans and asked this guy about him. This, the head of the Native American gang was a Navajo guy. He was a very gentle, diabetic guy. Uh, didn't seem to have a mean bone in his body. I don't, I don't even know why he was in prison. But I asked him about this guy. I said, what's with him? He said, you be careful of him. You know? So I took that as a warning. And uh, about six months in, he was telling me all this stuff about how he could do stuff with spirits and work with spirits. And I said, well, if you can do all that, how come you can't stay sober? And I kind of braced myself for an explosion. And he said, it's because of the dead, the spirits of dead alcoholics. And he said, they're all over the place. They can't get drunk in a spiritual form. They have to enter an alcoholic to get drunk. So once they get in, then they demand to drink more. So, you know, and I've heard story after story about spirits entering alcoholics and then they're just not drinking for themselves. Now these spirits are getting drunk because they have to have a body to get drunk in. All right. And I've heard those stories a number of times from different alcoholics. You know, does that work? Enough and another spirit jumps in there. Does that work the same way with other drugs? If someone has a drug of, I guess I wouldn't say choice, but like meth users, meth addicted people, are they told by the negative voices to continue to take the meth? Do the spirits well, themselves want well, the meth? Well, I can tell you this. I've talked to several of them to when they ran out of meth. The voices told them where to be and when to be there to get more. And a total total stranger came up to them and had meth. They even asked them if they had meth. You know. So meth is one of the, the most dangerous drugs out there. You know, I've seen more people go psychotic on meth than virtually any other drug. Okay. And what it said, what it was like was they'd get high on the meth. They'd feel like Superman. They'd be feeling great. They'd have tons of energy. They'd get tons of stuff done. And uh, then they'd crash. Now, when they were coming down or while they were up, they would hear voices. Okay. They would hear voices talking to them. And they would go, they would just rationalize that away and go like, well, you know, that's just a hallucination. When I come down, the voices will go away. And they did. You know, 
And that might have happened 10 or 15 times, or it might have happened for a couple of months or something like that. Every time they came down, the voices went away. Then one day, they didn't. They were there permanently. And that guy was just as psychotic as anybody locked in a psych hospital. And those voices would not leave. Then they tormented him for the rest of the time. That's why the, the prisoners called meth the devil's drug. You know, Jerry, I had that experience personally, not uh, myself on, on meth, but I, uh, I had an ex-wife and uh, she was a multi-toxic drug user and a borderline personality disordered individual. And uh, she would go out and get high. And uh, a lot of the time I would end up trying to nurse her back to sanity. So I experienced that, uh, that uh, you know, what I would call uh, meth in, induced schizophrenic experience, you know, and as long as I could get her... Uh, home for four or five days and get her some food and water or some rest then the uh the process would stop like you described but eventually and uh you know i have a suspicion as to what happened but eventually she uh used uh, enough or used a combination of drugs in such a way that um they didn't didn't go away it was that two weeks in i realized like this is not going away this time she's not regaining uh, consciousness that doesn't include this loud interjection of schizophrenic type uh, voices experience. And um, as far as I know, uh, you know, thankfully I was able to get out of that situation. And unfortunately she was never able to successfully really get to a good place. She has consistently tried to get clean and has had some reasonable success, but you know how it is. A lot of people don't ever or they go back and forth. She's probably been in and out of rehabs literally hundreds of times, you know, over and over again, and sometimes completing the stint and sometimes only there for a week or whatever. But um, it reminds me also, Jim sent me a wonderful interview that you did with a man named Patrick Dirk. And I bought his book on Audible, The Meth Bible, because it sounds really fascinating. Um, and his experience uh, is really a miracle, a very miraculous, wonderful experience to be a full-blown alcoholic, fall into full-blown, uh, like as far into methamphetamines as you could possibly go, and then somehow regain your sanity and to come out of it and be functioning and proselyzing to help people and tell them, like, I can, you know, there's hope. And so um, I wanted to thank you for uh, for being involved in that interview because it was really encouraging to see um, the story of Patrick Dirk. And uh, I don't he called it the ice fire and ice or something. But I mean, the meth Bible was the other title of his book, you know. Yeah, he said, uh, you know, just like the Swedenborg stuff, he said he got to the point where he was given a choice. You you either go to the dark side or you start coming back, you know. And he, he chose to come back. So I, I guess Christ or some other positive entity said, okay, you got a choice now. You need to choose your road. And yeah. he, said, he said once he chose to come back and, and, and start recovering and going to the, the, the light side, he said he woke up the next morning and all his symptoms were gone. He didn't have yeah. any craving for meth. He didn't have any shaking. It was all gone. It was like a, a miracle experience. He had physical healing of his uh, internal organs. Also, he, he testified yeah. in that video. So, yep, he said his, uh, uh, yeah, his liver and, and stuff were just they were all fixed too. Now, I was going to jump back to what Ben said one more time because uh, I was curious about you know. So we got the my my ex also called 
meth the devil's drug unprompted by any i'd uh, never heard that before that's and so then you're reporting that it's redundantly reported that way um in the in the prison system and she called it the same thing she described it as a man who was the devil you know like it was the devil himself but um to get back to what ben had asked so and i would agree i used to i drank uh i drank pretty heavy for 20 years and i definitely agree with the uh, assessment that there's a reason they call it spirits you know, there's a point where I would get drunk enough that I could kind of feel that I wasn't myself anymore, you know, and I'd become more of a son of a bitch, for lack of a better right. uh, way to put it. Um, but uh, so then when you get to other drugs like uh, dimethyltryptamine, DMT or uh, ayahuasca or maybe even I ibogaine, um, do, you, do you have any experience or reference to those types of things and what spirits might be affiliated with them and why? Well, I, I've heard a lot of good things about a lot of those. Um, but I also, there was one guy that I interviewed where he was doing that stuff and he got taken over by a spirit that he has to share his consciousness with. It's one of the, one of the videos on my, um, uh, on my YouTube channel or, well, my website, jerrymarzinski.com, you know, I, I forgot his name at the present time. But I did a, a several interviews with him and he talked about it. Matter of fact, he let that spirit come out once and you could see his face distort. I mean, it was right in front of your eyes. I mean, he just he just changed, you know, when he let that thing out. Um, so I don't know about these other things. You, you, you have to be careful. You know, I would at least have a shaman or somebody around who knew their way around these things, you know, not just, not just take them, especially some of those more powerful ones you know, somebody who knows their way around. Right. That's good advice. If you're going to, uh, and I, I'd say, um, a lot of people get into these things recreationally, but we're seeing it increase in the world that it's popular for potential therapeutic use. But, uh, of course, just like you said, it's hard to, to trust these, uh, people in power, drug manufacturers, what you're calling the, the medical mafia. And so if they get a hankering and a love for mushrooms and hallucinogenics, then I intuitively have a, a jaded eye and a jaded thought. Like it doesn't mean that it can't be helpful, but I don't necessarily trust their approach um, no. because of all the stuff that you've said and, and, uh, and explained. Now, another thing that popped into my head when uh, somebody said, do they report to someone else? Jerry, we interviewed you about two years ago, and you had described how um, the guy came to you. He said the voices were mad that you were interrupting and interjecting yourself into their work, for lack of a better word, and that eventually you had uh, dialogued with the voices and gotten them to admit to having a higher authority that they're answering to, and even gotten some of the voices to go into the light and disappear and stuff like that. So if you want to touch on any of that stuff, of course, we'd love to hear it. So. Yeah. So what, what was happening is I was coming up with these, um, these patterns. Okay. And again, if the, if these voices are running patterns, then they can't be hallucinations like the psychiatric mafia insists. Right. You know, they were, they were negative. They were any religious, they fostered negative emotion. They energetically drained their victims. They got louder after sunset. They got louder when ignored. They fostered self-destructive behavior. They fostered isolation. They demand the attention of the, it went on and on where well, there's 23 of them now. 
you know, anybody working with schizophrenics can see them themselves. They don't have to have a biochemist or a geneticist. This is the operational definition of these negative entities. This is what they do. This is how they are. Okay. Again, you can see them all on my website. So back then, I was working with the, in the prison, and I, had, I always had a group of prisoners around me that agreed to tell me in real time what their voices were telling them you know, in therapy sessions. So, you know, they would tell me, well, the voices are calling you a son of a bitch and they don't like you and they don't like me coming here and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I'd say, well, you know, tell them to go stick their heads in the toilet or something like that, you know. So they, they the voices were always part of the deal, you know. And I was like going, okay, what would happen if I started disrupting these patterns? All right. So I started experimenting with disrupting the patterns. You know, what happens if you uh, the voices start in on somebody and then you tell them to recite the 23rd Psalm? Okay. The voices hated it. Yeah, they couldn't stand it. Um, people said they, some of the patients said they was like throwing uh, worms on a hot frying pan is how they reacted to the 23rd Psalm. So what I did is anything I found that they hated, I told these, these prisoners to do it to them. Yeah. And what they were doing was like fighting back. So what these voices do is they make the, the, their victims feel helpless. Well, there's nothing you can do about us. Go ahead and take your meds. We're not going away. And it's true. You know, it, they, it, they might have, the meds might have lowered their, their volume, but they didn't for 99% of the time, they didn't make the voices go away, you know? And if they did, as soon as the person stopped taking drugs, they came back. So these drugs weren't curing anything. They weren't getting rid of the voices. All they were doing was drugging these people down and they were drugging their brains, okay? They weren't touching these entities. So I'm like, okay, what happens if I start screwing up their patterns? So I do stuff like... Uh, Okay, if uh, uh, if they're constantly negative, repeat the twenty-third psalm every time they come. Yeah, they hated it. Uh, any, they're any religious? They don't like you reading the Bible. Read the Bible. Read spiritual stuff. Get them back. So here, here are these 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 prisoners who felt helpless against these voices were were being given weapons to fight back against them, and the voices didn't like it. So the first time they were able to hit these things back, instead of just putting up with all their crap, they were able to strike back. Okay. Um, so what happened as 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 I was disrupting these voices and asking the the these guys to come back and say, okay, try this, and tell me what happened next week when you come back, you know, and then it, we're finding more and more effective ways to do this. The voices started getting pissed off. And I had one after the other of these, this small group that I had come back to me and say, the voices don't like what you're doing. They don't like you. They don't like what you're doing. You know, uh, they don't want me to come here. So uh, the voices were, were getting, they're getting pissed off. I'm like, so now a hallucination's getting pissed off. See, I still wasn't fully convinced that these were entities. I didn't want to believe that, you know. 
I, I was thinking, well, this is something to do with their subconscious mind. I mean, this is uh, da da But I was I was going to figure this out, <clears throat> and uh, then one day, one guy uh, comes to me, one of the guys I was working with in one of these groups. He comes to my my door without a pass. I don't know how he got into the medical unit without a pass, but he did. He came to my door in the psych department, knocks on the door, and I'm kind of surprised to see him because he, he didn't have a pass to get in there. And he said, the voices want to talk to you. And I'm like, they want to talk to me personally? He goes, yeah, they want to talk to you personally. That had never happened before. It was always, you know, the the, the patient would say, well, the voices are saying this. And then I would tell them, well, go tell them to stick their head in the toilet. You know, da, da, da. tell them to shut up. So it, it would be like that. The, 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 the patient would always be the intermediary. I never had them want to talk to me personally. I knew they didn't like me, but I, they never talked to me personally. So I said, they want to talk to me personally? He said, yeah, they want to talk to you personally. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> come on in. <laughs> Close the door. I sat down and I kind of braced myself and went like, uh, all right, what do they got to say? And these words came out of his mouth. You have no right to interfere with our way of life. And it was like outer limits. It was like, do, 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 do. You know, it was like, <laughs> I, I, I just, boom. You know, my denial system just crashed. I mean, it just crashed. It just fell apart. There was no other, no longer denying that these things were separate malicious entities at that point. I knew they were, and I didn't want to believe that. So here's this all this psychological turmoil, like, you know, what just happened after he left? I just, I closed my office. I didn't see anybody the rest of the day, and I'm thinking like, what in the hell am I getting into? I don't have any cognitive map for this. You know, this is like new territory. Nobody's been here before that I know of except for maybe Swedenborg, you know? Yeah, and, it's scary. Uh, That's scary. <laughs> it was scary. You know, it's like, where's this going? You know, I, 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 how do I navigate this? I mean, wh wh where does it go? I mean, what, what, you know, it's like, how do I know there's not booby traps? I mean, what, you know, so I'm thinking about all this stuff all day long, like, going, what are you doing? What are you doing? And, uh, you know, finally I calmed down about it. And, and went back and I resumed and I was reading a book by, uh, I, I would always bring stuff in and ask these schizophrenics all kinds of questions. I was always battering them with questions. You know, what do your voices think about this? Or what, did it, how, what do they do when you do this? Uh, constant, you know. So I was reading a book one day. It was called The Voice of Knowledge by Miguel Ruiz. Great book. Highly recommended for everybody to read. And he was talking about entities that were draining people. And as he, he wrote about them, it was like, this is, this is exactly what I'm seeing. So I, I brought that book into the prison. And one of these guys I was working with, I said, hey, I got a shaman here who's writing about these, these something that sounds just like your voices, draining people's energy. And I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to want to read you this, um, uh, this paragraph. And I'd like you to tell me what you think about it, all right? So I started reading it, finished it up, and it was talking about draining, you know, the, the being parasites, that these things were parasites. And I look at this guy, 
and he's sitting there staring at me with this glazed over look like as like some kind of zombie and i'm like that doesn't look good you know so i'm going he's he may attack me so i push my chair back against the wall and brace for him coming at me if he's going to come at me at least i can push him back with my legs because they they put females in the medical unit at that time and they they would have been absolutely useless if an attack hit whatever is going to happen would be all done and over with by the time they got there so um I was waiting for him to attack, so I didn't want to keep my eyes off him. And all of a sudden, behind my back, there there erupted this electrical crackling, and it was loud. It, it sounded just like an arc welder. It was like crack, 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 crack. And I'm like, what the frick is happening? And I look at him, and I say, do you hear that? And he says nothing. He's just got this eerie stare. He's just staring at me like like some kind of zombie. And then this crackling starts going up. My, the right office wall at a 45 degree angle and it's moving you could hear it crackling all the way up to the ceiling it sounded just like an arc welder you know crack 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 but i, I didn't want to keep my attention focused on that because i didn't trust him so I'm, I'm moving my attention back and forth trying to keep an eye on him while i'm trying to see what's crackling and i couldn't see anything i couldn't smell anything i couldn't feel anything i could just hear it and it was loud and it, it went on and on and on. It must have went on for th- three minutes. It was a long time. And then it started crackling across the ceiling, across the back of the office where I could watch it and him at the same time. I still couldn't see anything. I didn't see any sparks. I didn't see anything. I just heard this crackling. And then it starts coming down the left wall where, where I was kind of at. And it jumped into this Rubbermaid trash can right next to my leg. So I looked down in that trash can and there's nothing in there except this crackling sound. It was emptied by the inmate porter the night before. It's empty. you know. And then, boom, just like that, this crackling disappeared. It just went out. And I'm like, I, I look at him and he starts getting up very slowly. And he goes, I got to leave. And he, he shuffled out of the office. And I was like, yeah, get the hell out of here, man. Go. You know? So he shuffled down the hall. And after he was left, I got up and I started examining the walls to see if there were any burn marks or any any kind of physical marking or anything that would indicate. Right. Manifestation. That, evidence. That, you know? that this has happened for some kind of evidence. And there was none. There, there was nothing. So I walk out in the hall. And I, I start looking to see if any of the other offices are open, if anybody was in there. Was anybody doing anything that might have caused this? Nobody was there. The nurses weren't in yet. The doctors weren't in yet. All those offices were closed. There was nobody in the hall. The only person in the building was the, the, the guard up front. And I was like freaked out of my skull. I was like, what the hell just happened? And I, I started thinking, am I started going crazy? Am I going nuts now? You know, and there was nobody I could talk to. Nobody, I, I couldn't go tell, hey, you know, any of my colleagues, hey, I was I was talking to a schizophrenic and this happened. You know, I couldn't even tell my wife because the little bit I told her before that, you know, she'd go, why are you picking through the heads of these psychotics, man? These, these guys are killing people. What What's the matter with you? You know, so there, there was no talking to her, you know. And uh, this was beyond adrenaline junkie stuff. I mean, I was stunned. I mean, I was just, 
I shut down the office. I didn't see anybody that day. I just sat there staring out the window like, where is this going? Am I losing my mind? You know, what's happening? What, you know, I was just totally freaked out. I just stared out the window the whole day. Did that drain all your energy? Well, I, I didn't feel an energy. I just felt numb. It was, it was like a shock. It was, it was a real shock to my system. It's like somebody hit me in the head with a baseball bat or something. It was like, I was just numb. It was, it was like outer limits, like do, 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 you know? And uh, just sitting there thinking and, and wondering and, and just, you know, looking out the window all day. You know, finally that wore off. And um, I didn't call that guy back for three or four months. I didn't want to see him. Yeah, I'll bet. It, it was Do you like, think uh, that he that he powered it? That that the entity used the fear from that guy to manifest itself in this crackle sound for well, your at, witness. At, at that time, I didn't know what happened. You know, I didn't know. I know it had something to do with him. Yeah, but I didn't know what. You know, so it was like, I think three months later, I finally got up the nerve to call him back in and he, he showed up at my office and he looked good. I thought he'd be a wreck. I thought he'd be an absolute total wreck, you know, because if, if they could do that, they were, they uh, certainly, they had destroyed him by then. And, uh, uh, I was surprised that he looked good. I said, you look good. What, you know, what's going on? You know, you, you, you know, after, after, uh, you know, what happened? I was thinking he'd be a wreck. He wasn't. I said, well, you know, you look good. I said, uh, how are you keeping yourself in, in that kind of shape? And he, he goes, uh, well, what you taught me about how to fight back about the voices with the voices, I, I haven't been able to get rid of them, but I've been able to hold them in place. So they, they're not advancing, you know, they're not, they're not taking me over. It's a Mexican standoff kind of thing. And, uh, I said, come on in, sit down. And he did. And we did a little small talk. And I said, uh, you remember last time you were in my in the office here? He goes, yeah, I remember. I said, did you hear that crackling? He said, yeah, I heard it. He said, but I'm surprised you did. And I said, you know, what in the hell was that? And he said, uh, that was them. And I said, the voices? He said, yeah, that was the voices. And I said, what in the blazes were they were they doing? He said, they were trying to scare you off. <laughs> I said, they did a damn good job of it. You know? So uh, then, then I asked him, uh, you looked real strange when you left the office. You, you looked like some kind of zombie. I said, well, what were the voices telling you when you were leaving my office? He said, they were telling me to go get a shank and stick it in your gut. Shank is a homemade prison knife. Yeah. And I'm thinking, nah, he wouldn't do anything like that. You know, I was working with him for six months. He's, you know, he's, he's holding his own with the voices. Uh, he's, he's doing good compared to where he would have been. And uh, I, I just asked him, not thinking he would do anything like that. I said, well, why didn't you do it? And he said, I couldn't find one and nobody would give me one. Yikes. And I'm like, holy cow. You know, what am I getting into? So that was scary 
also. I'll bet. Now, again, that, that was over the top as far as being an adrenaline junkie. That was way over the top. So that's that's what that was all about. So they don't like me. They didn't like me messing with the patterns. They didn't like me messing with them. Uh, they didn't like me arranging uh, these people to be uh, drugged up when they lost it. Um, so virtually they hated me. They hated me as much as they hated anybody, any of anybody. So, Did they ever talk about loving anyone? Did any of the voices no, say they no, loved no, an administrator all they, or someone All they love staff? is to make people miserable. There is no love in them. They have no love except for to torment people. They love to torment people. They love to make them miserable. That's the only love they have in them. Does loving the patient break the pattern? I tell you, if you can send, that helps. That helps. Um, you know, some of the earlier psych uh, units, like Central State back in the 1800s, they would treat these people very humanely. And a lot of them got better. And, and they didn't even have medications back then. You know, but... If the patient can send them love, that's like that's like hitting them with a blowtorch. They can't stand it, you know. If if they can send them love, they can't stand it. Well, any other questions you guys got? So we we were talking about these things being energetic, okay? So they're not they're not. They're not going to leave with physical drugs. Okay? So a while back, I ran into this new therapy. And, and, you know, I've been trained in all kinds of different counseling styles and all kinds of different uh, uh, psychological techniques and, and all this years and years of in-service training. None of that stuff worked. Didn't work well if it worked at all. But I ran into something called uh, the ACE, uh, MACE Energy Method. So I get all these all these emails every day. I get some pretty strange emails. And uh, this one guy wrote me, and, and all he says is, he goes, I got somebody that I want you to meet. And he says, at worst, she would be like a jolly old uh, old lady. And I looked at that, and I went, that's very odd. That's very out of character for the emails I get. So it, it got my attention, and I'm feeling like you should follow up with this one, okay? So I did. I, I wrote him back, and I said, okay, tell me about this jolly old lady. <laughs> so he hooks me up with this lady. And I had no idea who she was. And, uh, you know, by that time, I had already learned about MACE, this, this uh, psychotherapy. And it's energetic and it's spiritual. So it uses the spirit to find where trauma is buried in the mind. And then it energetically removes that negative emotion from that trauma. And it does it very quickly. And it does it very efficiently. So I read John Mace's books. He's got one called Causism. And he's got one called Energy Over Mind. Right? And I, you know, I'm sophisticated enough with psych to uh, where I was able, there was enough information there to put this system to use with the people I was seeing. And it was working. 
you know, it was working better than anything else I had. Uh, so um, I get in touch with this lady and it turns out, I had no idea who she was. It turns out that she's the chief trainer for the Mace Institute that teaches therapists about this therapy, this kind of therapy. And we had a fascinating conversation and, and, uh, uh, she goes, well, why don't you, uh, why don't you take the advanced training? And I said, why should I do that? It, this is working now. It's, it's working. I could piece together enough of what you're talking about for it to work now. She goes, there's a lot more to it than what you know. So, uh, you know, she goes, uh, I asked her, well, how much does this cost? <clears throat> she goes, well, $5,000. And I'm like, whoa. I said, why should I pay $5,000 when it's working for me now? She said, what you know is only the tip of the iceberg. You know, so I ended up uh, getting trained in this the MACE energy method. And I'm telling you guys out there in the audience, if you're having psychological problems, except for maybe schizophrenia, you're, you're depressed or anxious or any normal psychological problems, do not go to a psychiatrist. Go to the, get in touch with a MACE practitioner. They, they have a website. It's a www.maceenergy.com. No, www.maceenergymethod.com backslash about backslash. Okay. I just, Jerry, I just dropped the link for the maceenergymethod.com directory to North America in the United States in the chat so people can see that. That's the actual people that are available. And you're at the top of the list, but you know, there's about, looks like there's about a half dozen um, in North America. If you're outside of the North American area, you'll have to go back one step to the uh, services tab is what I went to because I was looking at it as you're, you're talking about it. And um, I agree. And I really appreciate you putting it out there for people because uh, a lot of people, I mean, of course, we appreciate the fascinating insight into something as extreme as, uh, extreme as schizophrenia. But lots of us have anxiety, depression, frustrations, feeling like you're going in circles, whatever. And if there's effective relief and it avoids the regular, like what you said, the medical mafia, then that's great to offer that to people so yeah, they know yeah, that the there's psychiatric options. Mafia. They're not going to like this because it actually cures these problems. That's why Mace named the book Causism, Causism, because it gets at the cause of the problem, right? So John Mace, he, he was like a, uh, he, he was he was years ahead of psychiatry and psychology. He, he wanted to know how the mind worked. How does the mind actually work? And he found that it doesn't work like, psychology and psychiatrists think and they don't say anything about the mind you know in eight years of higher education and psychology and counseling they didn't say anything about the mind nothing it's all behavioral stuff because they can't see the mind they can't feel it they can't touch it they 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 can't experiment with it you know it's it's ethereal it's it, it's it's not physically in existence physically you know so they couldn't do anything with it so they just blew it off they just ignored it you know so mace found that the mind does not operate like we normally think it does he said the mind 
actually just takes pictures of where you focus your attention, right? And he found that if you could turn a trauma into an image, that there was a way to get rid of it and drain that the energy out of that trauma. And it happens very quickly. I've worked with people who've, who were had traumatic things happen when they were young and they've been suffering for this with this trauma for decades. And in an hour, it was gone. They, they remembered the trauma. They remembered that it happened, but there was no emotional charge to it at all. You ask wow. them, well, how do you feel about that trauma now? Eh, it's neutral. I remember it's there. Doesn't bother me. It's gone. You know, and it brings down that entire chain of that particular type of trauma. And it happens very quickly and it happens very effectively. And, uh, you know, there's no, there's nothing I've ever seen work like it. You know? And there's not a lot of practitioners out there. This was developed in Australia. They took it to. Um, they took it to the universities and they showed the university how well it worked. Said, look, we'll prove it to you. Look at this. Boom. They saw it. The university said, oh, well, we might consider it if you give us the patent for it. They went, screw you. We're not going <laughs> to give you the patent. You know, they probably take it and throw it away like they do with a lot of the other stuff, free energy and stuff. You know? So they went to the Australian legislature and they said they, they showed it to them. They showed it worked. They said this should be in the mental health centers. You should be doing this instead of feeding people drugs. This works. They showed them it worked. They saw that it worked. They just blew it off. It's like never, never anything again, you know. So, you know, it, it, it's a fairly small group now. There's not a lot of practitioners around. You know, if you can get hold of one, you know, if you're having psychological problems, see those people. Make an appointment with them you know, how, in a how couple of sessions. Do, do you relive the moment and override well, you, you it? Have to, you do have to do that. Okay. You do have to go back to that moment. Now, this only works if you can form an image of, you, you get, there's something called, John Mays found that there's, there's no psychotherapy will work unless you take into account what he called the identity. So there's negative identities and there's positive identities. Okay. Positive identities are kind of, you got a positive identity as a, uh, whatever you do for a living. You got a, you're a car driver, you're a, a father. You, you have all these positive identities that you created on purpose to help you survive on this planet. Negative identities weren't created on purpose. They were created during a trauma when you made a decision about who you were in relation to that trauma. And in that trauma, there was an overwhelming feeling. It was an overwhelming negative feeling that you can't function with a, a, a feeling that intense for, for any length of time. So the ego jumps in there and it goes, hey, let me handle this. And it takes it and it buries it in the subconscious and then it covers it over and it buries it, but it buries it alive. So the effect of that is, so if you were abused by your father, your father was a, a, a a real son of a bitch. And he was this particular type of son of a bitch. Anytime that somebody like your father would come into your psychic sphere, that 
negative entity would start acting up. It would break out of there and it would go either beat the crap out of this guy or ignore him and get away from him or 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 leave get get away you know it'd be fight or flight run from him you know so that reaction would come up every time you came up across a person like that and the universe keep, takes care of bringing those kind of people to you saying there's something wrong here there's something wrong here something needs to be fixed here you go off every time you get around this kind of person what's going on you know take a look at this you know so if <clears throat> you find that 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 negative identity and then you, you you can once you find it you can have that person concentrate on that trauma and d- describe what that negative identity is like and then once they can form an image of it then they can get rid of it and it, it, it's just like your attention drains it. When you hold your attention on it, <coughs> it's like a conduit. And it just blows it out. So it works like draining a car battery. You know, you can charge a car battery up till it's full. But if you drain it all the way down to nothing, you can't recharge it again. It's dead. So these, these traumas are the same way. Once they're drained down to nothing and there's no energy left in them, They won't recharge. They recharge every time they're triggered. So while they're alive, every time they're triggered, they gain more energy. And then the person starts believing, well, that's just who I am. When I get around these kind of people, that's that's how I am. That's just how I behave. I just can't stand those kind of people. That's not true. The problem is with you. You know, once that negative identity is drained and there's no energy in it, that trauma is gone. You can be around those kind of people now and you just go. Yeah, I know what kind of what kind of creeps they are. Doesn't bother you. Just go, all right. Not doesn't hook you. You know. So it's all energy. You know. So thoughts are energy, feelings are energy, uh, memory is energy. It's all energy. You know. Poisoning so- the drug with these toxic chemicals that the psychiatric mafia uses doesn't touch the energetic level. These voices that these these schizophrenics are hearing, they're energetic. They're energy. You know, you can't get rid of them by pouring drugs on there. You can you can you can dump dug down the brain. You can make the brain to where it just slows down to nothing and it doesn't process information the way it's supposed to. You can get the guy where he's so out of it he's drooling and he doesn't care about anything. You know, it's like uh, you know, like drinking alcohol. I mean you. You, you get drunk and you, it hurts, but you don't care about it. You know, if you bang your bang your thumb or, or trip or fall or something, right. yeah, it hurts, but you just don't care about it. Now, that's kind of what these psych drugs do. Yeah, the, the, the voices are miserable. They make you miserable, but you, you just don't care about it because you're all drugged up. I have a question about these identities that you're talking about, these negative identities. Would it be like in a man who cheats on a wife and then the identity becomes, I'm an adulterer? That could be, if it, if it bothers them. Usually it's, um, you know, where, where a, a parent is abusive to a kid and the kid gets the idea, I'm bad. 
you know, I'm no good because my parents treated me bad. I must be a bad person. You know? So they get that identity as a bad person and then they start doing bad things. And that, that identity through the bad things they do reinforces that identity. You know, so eventually they end up in prison. So the identity might be, I'm a bad person. That means I'm a sinner. I'm a criminal. And that's my behavior pattern. So I will continue to be a criminal and, and do crime and maybe get arrested eventually for it. Well, something like that. Or uh, a, a woman who has a very bad experience with uh, men. She goes, all men are rotten. You know, I just won't get around them at all. It's a negative identity. The way it works is that you get into some kind of jam, you get into some kind of horrible problem, and you go, "I'm never going to do that again." You know, I'm never going to, I'm never going to do that again. And then six months later, you find yourself right back in the same problem again. That's a negative identity at work. It's like a computer virus in your brain. You know, it's it's working behind the scenes, driving your behavior, and you're not even aware of it. So throughout all of this, it oh, it seems to me, I've not put extensive study into this kind of thing, but it almost seems like you're dealing with different uh, levels and types of entities. Because like with the schizophrenics, you're saying that uh, the drugs, which I, I absolutely can, you know, believe and understand that the physical drugs are not changing whether they're interacting with these things or not uh as opposed though to the meth entities which they need the meth in order to interact with them so now the physical drug is bringing in uh interaction with those type of beings where that is you know dependent on the meth or else they don't interact with it at all no, that's not true. Once it, it's like the the meth opens them up to interaction with these negative things. Now these aren't negative identities. The, these these entities that the meth brings on. These are negative spirits. There's a difference. You know, it's like the difference between that's a computer clarify, program. That's what I'm trying to clarify here. Yes, there's a big difference. Now there's also a gray zone. You know, we're in my practice. I'm going after a negative identity that I think uh, is a negative identity. It turns out to be a negative, an evil spirit. And the other way around, you know, I go after a negative identity that I think may be just a, a negative identity turns out to be an evil spirit or the other way around. You know, there's, I think it's an evil spirit and it turns out to be a negative identity. So there's a gray zone there. Is that but like the meth where they opens put people up to infestation? Is that where they've put so much energy into a trauma that they've created almost an egregore of the trauma? And is that like what creates that kind of gray zone where it's not this thing or this thing is kind of almost. What's well, it's, it's almost like a transition thing. If, if you, you talk to most schizophrenics, they will tell you they were extremely traumatized. You know, they have a lot of trauma in their background. You know, until they until they break. You know, if they're not using meth and cocaine, I've seen people go insane on cocaine. You know, but meth is the number one. 
I've never seen any drug drive people totally insane like meth. My my uh my partner Brian, he says that uh, he, he's a former heroin user uh, a long time ago, um, and he said that he absolutely said he sees the one he saw the ones with the red eyes. He said he heard, and this is amongst uh, the heroin crowd is a different crowd than the methamphetamine. Obviously, you know, uh, don't really interact with each other that much. Uh, and he said that he'd heard stories about the lime green eyes. I found that part fascinating because when I'm out at night, uh, I live out in the middle of the forest. Uh, it's part of why my internet's been crap. We're getting an atmospheric river and I live in the forest. So I got to rely on satellite internet. Um, but when I'm shining the forest, when I'm looking at, uh, when I'm looking for flashes, the color of eyes that alert me is the, the, like, if you ever saw a mountain lion's eyes at night, I mean, it, it, it's like this colored red. It's like a blood red. It's not even like uh, your cats when your cats is that little bit of red, like or even a person's because of the camera flash. No, I mean, there is a deep red. You're like, what the fuck is that? And and that's it's super scary. Um, but the more predatory animals, that's either red or that greenish. And that's that's super interesting. Uh, or like if the animal's not a predator much, it's usually more of a blue. Uh, that's pretty fascinating. But he said that that same thing exists in the heron world. And he also saw one, he saw entities with fire as eyes before. Wow. They're out there. You know, they're out there. Jerry, we had one question whether or not you ever heard a crackling noise or any other manifestation of uh, of something coming through like that. Again, after that one experience where you had the loud crackling, three three minutes is a long time to be experiencing an aural, uh, you know, I mean, people would say an aural hallucination, but I would call it a manifestation, not a hallucination, um, because the, the patient also heard it along with you. Did you ever have any other experiences like that where... Just that one time, okay. Not, not with the crackling type thing. <clears throat> now, I did get, when I was working uh, the later years in the prison, I got, I got to where I could feel these things, okay? It was like this icky electrical feeling. And, and that was useful because when the voices were really angry or really agitated, I could feel that. You know, I, I, could, I could even... And usually in the, the emergency room was even more dangerous than the prison because usually when they were in the prison, you know, you had security around all the time. I mean, there are guards all over the place. You, you didn't have any security in the, in the emergency room, you know, the, the, and they're coming in raw. They're coming in full of drugs. They're coming in flaming psychotic. Uh, so th that, that feeling was, that was a big help to me. And it felt tool. like an ick, it felt like an icky electrical feeling. It was like uh, did your hair stand on end? Was it like a static. It, it, that's, it was kind of a it was kind of a cross between your hair standing on end and 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 having goose pimples. You know, but it wasn't yeah. like either one of those. I don't know any other feeling like it. Is there but a temperature I could feel that to energy. it? Was it cold? It was it cold? Was there a specific temperature? No. I didn't, there wasn't any cold to it. It was just this like, okay, interesting. It, it, 
it was it wasn't like the room temperature changed it was just like this icky electrical feeling and you know a patient could come in and uh, i could see he was psychotic and i'd say uh are you hearing voices and he'd, he'd go no i said yeah you are and let me tell you how strong they are you know? and he, they'd be blown away and uh they go like how did you know that and i said uh you know, I can't see them, I can't hear them, but I can feel them, and I'm feeling them coming out of you. You know, so that they yeah. couldn't lie about it. Wow. So I one other question I saw go by. Sorry, Jim. I just there's a couple good questions in the chat, and I didn't want to miss them. Someone had asked Jerry if you had heard of a of a group who's against the typical what we're calling the medical mafia, and it's called Mad in America. Um, and I assume it's some kind of uh psychiatric uh, group that advocates for people, but also is against the typical systematic way that we currently see people dealt with. Have you ever heard of mad in America? No. Okay. So that go ahead, Jim. Sorry. That was the only question. Other question I wrote down a uh, few I, people I ask hope, questions, but I didn't catch them all. So I hope they hear your broadcast. <laughs> yeah, me too. Me too. Uh, so we were talking earlier before the show, and uh, I, I'm here in Walla Walla, Washington, and uh, we have the state penitentiary here. And uh, my shop that I work at, like every day for many hours, is like pretty much kitty corner across the street from the penitentiary. And they just recently built a homeless camp that's like right next to the penitentiary. So there's a parade of drug use and mental health issues all day long and so uh this one night i was working late and i hear somebody just yelling like they were getting into the the most heated fight ever <laughs> and, and then you uh, go out there and it's only one guy standing there arguing guy. with something you couldn't see yeah he was i, I thought it was two people but he was just yeah. and, I, and i look out there and he's he's just walking down the street swinging a stick yelling <laughs> He had his shirt off and he kept going by and I kept looking out there and I was like, this is like, this is ridiculous. Like I hear the yeah, neighbors was, like slamming their windows shut and he's yelling. Yeah, he was so, fighting with the voices. Yeah. So I called the police and I was like, Hey, there's a guy running around. He's got it swinging a stick. You just might want to come down and take a look at him. And I like kind of watch and he's running up and down the street and then he disappears totally gone when the cops come they drive around they look for him they can't see him and then they leave and he pops right back out again goes right back to swinging his stick around and then a couple of days later i i walk out of the building and he's there and he says you called the cops on me and yeah. i was like how did he but know the voices told him yeah i had uh one one uh, prisoner that the voices would tell him which houses to rob, when to go there, generally where the loot was, and if the pay, if the people in the house were up, you know. Wow. So he was telling me about one incident where he he was robbing one house, and the voices told him, you know, listen, you 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 got some of the loot, you better get out now because the the, the people are up, and they're calling the cops. So he jumps out the window and he goes to run up this alley on his left hand side. And the voices said, no, don't go there. You know, go to the right. There's a trash dumpster down there. 
run into and get in that trash dumpster and just stay there. You know, so he did that. The police came by, and soon as they passed by, the voices are telling, "Okay, now get up and get out of there." And he said, "But they're too close. They'll hear me." The voice said, "No, you get out now." So he he quietly got out of the dumpster and he ran, went back to wherever he was living. And when he got there, the voices were telling him, good job. You did a great job. And he said, well, not so good a job because I forgot all the loot in the garbage. And uh, the voices said, no problem. Just go back in the morning and go get it. Uh, <laughs> there, was, there was another guy. Now, this was, this was a really, this was interesting because this guy fully recovered. I mean, he, he fully got rid of his voices by the time we were done with him. Um, he lived in San Diego. He had a long criminal record, drug use. I mean, everything under the sun, pages worth of all kinds of crimes. And uh, he was hearing voices and they told him, hey, listen, we know where there's a, a Sesamalia drug field in Oregon. You know, take your take take your, He had two hundred and fifty dollars or something like that at the time. He said, take your money, go get two burlap sacks and we'll show you where it is. So he trusted him enough to go, you know, listen to what they said. They directed him all the way up to Oregon, down this long dirt road, and finally the dirt road ended, and he goes, okay, what now? And they say, okay, they say, uh, take your, your burlap sacks, sacks and take your machete, and uh, there's a hiking trail off to the left. We'll show you where it is. So they showed him where it was. He hiked for a couple hours, got up into the mountains, and he found this huge sesamelia pot field. So he started cutting down this, this pot. And he had both the burlap bags full, carried him back down the mountain, threw him in his car. And he goes, well, what do I do now? And, he, and the voices said, well, we know where there's a park near here. Go over there and sell your marijuana. So he did. And he made a small fortune. He bought all the prostitutes he could afford. I mean, he could. He bought all the, all the alcohol he could drink. He bought all the drugs he could use. And the voices wanted to go fishing. And I went, no, nah, come on, you're pulling my leg. He goes, no, no, honest to God, they were fishermen. They wanted to go fishing. They told me to go get a fisher rod and go down to the Columbia River. I said, no, nah, you're pulling my leg. He said, no, I'm not pulling your leg. This happened. And uh, he said he was the only one on the Columbia River catching fish that day. He said the voices told him where to throw his bait, how long to be there, when to move to another spot, you know, and uh what to use for bait. And, and he was catching fish all day long and, and nobody else on the river was catching anything. You know? So he did that for a, f a couple of weeks, two, two, three weeks. And then finally he ran out of money again. He goes, I got any, I need to go up to the pot field and get some more pot. And the voices told him, uh, no, you, uh, you go up there, they'll kill you. They're waiting on you. You know, he, they, the voices told him, take what money you have and go back down to San Diego. So they know stuff that, you know, right. Precognitive. Don't know. Right. They're precognitive yeah. and they're, well, they're all seeing to some, or at least they have some intuition to what's actually happening outside of time, the scope of time. Yeah. Now I wouldn't so. say all of them can do that, but I've run into a lot of them that could. So they have a, a vested interest in your sort of onward living and success. It sounds like sometimes. Oh, they don't want you to have any success. No success. They want to, they want to destroy you. That's why they're sent there. You know, well, so then why would they want him to catch fish? 
That's, I don't know. Did they, they want to eat the fish themselves? They want to just taste the fish again? I, no, that's I never it. asked them. Maybe they wanted to the choke on the fish bones. No, it, it seemed like it was the fishing that they enjoyed. Okay. You know, so maybe they were dead fishermen, you know, dead, dead alcoholics or dead somebody that used to fish. A lot right, of these, that's, a, a that's lot the of mystery. These are, a lot of these entities are, are, are people who lived on the planet and they're dead. Are some of these entities okay. maybe animals? Were there maybe pets, cats, dogs, or things that these entities, these voices would travel into and out of? Well, you know, I heard of a bridge in, I think it was either Germany or England. They called it the dog suicide bridge. Any dogs that went near that bridge, they would jump off the bridge to their death. Wow. Hmm. It's weird. That's crazy. Did any of your patients ever make animal noises? Did they ever feel like they were possessed by the spirits of animals? No. Never. Hmm. They did make growling noises. That, that was unnerving. <laughs> like human growling sounds, but not trying to uh, imitate a dog or something? No. Okay. That's unbelievable that they could be entities that were living people at one at one point that's just yeah a and you can mind. you can you can ask can them we, you know you you can ask them did, did you ever have a life on this planet and they'll tell you can we revisit you said that there was one gentleman that had uh developed some type of symbiotic apparently attachment with some entity where the entity uh, it very, if you've ever read uh, God Emperor of Dune, it very much reminded me of God Emperor of Dune. Where, uh, I, have you ever read the Dune series by chance? Um, I've, I've read what is it? The um, yeah, the Dune where the, there were these big sand hills and these creatures would come up out yeah. of the sand. Yeah, like it, as it gets into the later books, uh, they end up describing that everybody uh, in the Atreides line there, then they uh, tend to have uh, they where they are uh, have voices in their head and they're hearing their ancestors and other voices. Um, and it drives most of them crazy. But then the God Emperor of Dune, uh, it seems like he's not been possessed and he's not because uh, the ones that end up getting uh, uh, overridden by the possession, they end up killing them like uh, his sister. But then later on in the series, uh, you end up finding out that the God Emperor actually uh, entered into a symbiotic uh, relationship with one of the strongest of these attachments. And it, uh, it very much reminded me of what you were talking about, where you said one of these entities was permanently attached and in a symbiote. You didn't say that word, but where they were consistently together. Yes. Yeah. And he could not get rid of it. Now, did that have his self-interest or at least his seeing some type of success? Because, it would seem like like those entities that wanted the guy, like the fisherman entities, 
Well, maybe it wanted the guy to have some money so he could go out and do some fishing and whatnot. And they needed that. And so while it might not necessarily have been in something he wanted, it was something they wanted to see happen. You know, that was a fairly just normal, uh, everyday thing. Um, did that entity that was consistently with him act in a way that would be beneficial to it or him or having a, a life. Like if I'm going to live inside of a dude, like if I was an entity and I'm living inside of a dude, I'm going to want it to be a good life. I'm like, I'm not going to want to live inside of a heroin junkie. Yeah. You know, like that's living in a gutter. That sounds horrible. So no, I mean, I, I it, could, it's, I could not see different things. I could not see how it was beneficial to him in any way, shape, or form. He just had to put up with it. And it, was draining, it was draining his energy, so it was beneficial for it, but not for him. Now, to clarify, I that mean, guy was a... It sounds like your ex-wife is that you said, Ben. <laughs> well, no, I thought you said that the guy who had the permanent attachment was not necessarily one of the methamphetamines users or schizophrenics, but that he had come into that position by using some other drug. Now, yeah, it was ayahuasca wrong. or something ayahuasca, like that. Okay, so that's a lesser no less less knowledge on that experience in general. Then, so yeah. Because I mean, it seems yeah, like could, the it, have been, the, the, could it have been Ibogaine? I I don't know. He was with some shaman when he was doing it in so South it America. I, I'm curious because Ibogaine supposedly you live multiple other lifetimes. So were you that other thing that was living that out? And now it's like interchanging with you. I I don't know. You know that's. Uh, I'd never heard of this with ayahuasca, so I was just curious if maybe if it was Ibogaine, uh, where you uh, supposedly go live an entire lifetime out, and you wake up back in this one like, oh, shit, I had a kid and wife and lived my life out, or maybe, you know, whatever. I don't know. It was something he got from the shaman in the jungle. I, yeah, I was assuming it was ayahuasca. I don't know. Do any uh, of these witches... Go ahead. I was just going to say, I mean, we're, <laughs> which country? This way, I don't know. Usually this doesn't happen, but sometimes we interrupt each other. <laughs> My internet's you know really which, sucking. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. Do you know which country it was in, Jerry? Where the man... Uh, you know what? I didn't ask him that. It was one of the South American countries down there. Yeah. You know, Peru or some some somewhere in there. There's a, there's a just, question there about locations, I guess, domains, realms. Are there spirits that maybe are in Iran that are not in Brazil, that are in Michigan, but not in Africa? So like location geographic wise, we're talking Walla Walla, Washington Penitentiary area. Is there a spirit that has dominion or hierarchy over that location on the map? first thing that pops to mind is the schizophrenic voices are the same all over the planet. Okay. Okay. So they're, they're doing and saying the same things at the state hospital in Georgia, as they said in the prison, as they said in the mental health centers, as they said in the, the psychiatric hospitals I worked in. And now that I'm working with people all over the planet, 
they're saying the same thing to people in France and Germany and and Romania and 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 all these other uh, you know what is it uh, Portugal and um, England. I, I mean, they're saying the same things. They're running the same patterns. And if you look at it, you look at these patterns and you compare them to what's coming over the mainstream media right now. It's the same thing. Yeah. These patterns are, there's a one-to-one correspondence between what's coming over the mainstream media right now and what psychotics are hearing in their heads with these voices. It's the same exact one-to-one correspondence. Makes a lot of sense. The mainstream media and the deep state are a macrocosm of the psychotics voices. Were there any voices that encouraged or in some way enabled the person to create art, music, paintings or anything? Was there any creative output? Yeah. What did that look like? A lot of it was pretty strange. You know, um, matter of fact, there's a guy on YouTube who's schizophrenic who plays a piano. You know, um, yeah, that was interesting. <laughs> I wouldn't say it was uh, particularly soothing. Uh, Does but, it yeah, they, create they more loose? Like, so like the people that listen to the music created by the schizophrenic guy who has the voices, is that then looshing more, uh, focusing on negative emotion and just sort of well, it disturbances? Wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't grating, you okay. know, but it was, it was spooky. Okay. And and, uh, one thing these things do do is that schizophrenics are supernaturally strong. I mean, they are supernaturally strong. I've I've seen a, you know, a little 150 pound guy throw two prison guards around the inside of a cell like popcorn. There was this one prisoner that he was in, he was up in Florence and uh, they had him locked down in this big high uh, high security prison with with three tiers. He was down on the bottom tier and they wanted to move him. He was he was psychotic as a bed bug. And uh, they go up to his door and they say, okay, cuff up, we're moving you to another cell. And he said, screw you, I'm not going anywhere. You know, and they say, cuff up or we're gonna we're gonna get the the um, the mace spray that that uh, pepper spray stuff and they carried they had like quart cans of that on a sprayer that they could spray in there so uh they they tried to talk him into coming out he said no you i'm not coming out come on in and get me they said okay we're gonna douse you down with this stuff so uh uh they they get the, the the mace ready they he puts a towel around his face and they just drench him with that stuff i don't know if you guys have ever been around that stuff it is nasty it is very nasty. You get some on you, it burns. You know, it's like it's like having fire. It's like your your skin is being burned by fire. So after they got done spraying them, you know, they ran out of the mace and they said, "Okay, come on, come on out now." He said, "No, you come in and get me." <laughs> None of them were about to do it at that point. So they said, uh, "You know, now all the other prisoners on the and the whole." cell block are watching this i mean this is the greatest show in town for them they're all at their bars looking down and watching this so the guards couldn't back down at this point without looking bad you know so they had to win this fight (laughs) somehow 
So they said, okay, you come out of there or we're going to go get the um, uh, stun gun. You know, these, uh, what, 50,000 volts where, you know, I've seen people hit with those things. They just go down. I mean, even the biggest prisoner, just they're down, just knocks them right down. Um, I don't know how many watts, but boy, it knocks them flat. So he said, you go, go get your guns, you know. All right, we're going to go get the guns. They give him one more chance, you know. He didn't come out, so he's standing in the cell, and they shoot him with one of the guns, pull the trigger, and he just stands there, and he just starts quivering, just shaking, but he doesn't go down. You know? So they went and got, they, they had a second gun. They shot him with that. There's a 50,000 volts each, and one is charging where the other one's discharging. So it's like, bam, 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 13 times they did that to him. He still wouldn't go down. He just stood there and shook. And then the warden came down, and by then there's this whole pile of guards there watching this go on. And uh, the warden says, hey, they're going to get me for cruel and unusual punishments. You guys better knock that off. So they stopped that, but they still had to save face somehow. So they said, okay, you don't come out of there. We're going to go get the dogs. Okay. So the prisoners are terrified of the dogs because they tear them to pieces. I mean, these are vicious highly trained attack dogs. I mean, they're trained to rip people to pieces. So the prisoners are terrified of the dogs more than they are the pepper spray or the, or the, the shotguns or anything. I mean, they're, so he said, uh, they said, now come on out. Wow. He said, no, you, you come in and get me, you sissies and started calling them homos and all kinds of stuff, just insulting them saying, come on in and get me. So none of them were about to do that. So they told him, we're going to go get the dogs. He said, go get your dogs. So they, they went and got the dogs. They got the, the handler. They slid open the cell just long enough, wide enough for the dog to get in there. And they sicked the dog on the guy. And he threw his arm up in front of his face. And the dog grabbed his arm and bit down to the bone. And here he's gushing blood. And he drags this dog right up to his face. And he starts, he says, sit. He commands it to sit and the dog sat, but it didn't let go of his arm. And then he starts petting it like good puppy, good puppy. And all the guys outside the cell are going, what the hell is going on in there? What is going on? So they finally dragged the dog out that was on this long leash and the dog doesn't let go of his arm. And he got pulled out with the dog and then they beat the crap out of him. Wow. That's crazy. Schizophrenic so part of the supernaturally strong. I mean, just supernaturally strong. All of them. Part of the reason that we're that they're scared of dogs. I did I did a number of years in prison. Okay. If if the guards suit up, and that's why that's why I yelled that when they when they get truculent, the first thing they yell up is suited up then because they're ready to fight with the guards. And if the guards are wearing a suit, then you can hit them back. It doesn't matter you can get into a fight with the guards. It's okay. But if you hit that dog, you're getting a felony. If you, if you actually, cause you know, a dog's really not that scary. You can just, as soon as they bite, you just smash their head into the wall. It's okay. They're done, but you catch a new felony for that. And so where the guards, I, you can get into an actual fist fight with the guards at that point, as long as they're in a suit. That is so weird. That's not that's not how it was in our system. You hit a guard, you get charged. So, yeah, so you if they're actually, suited up. 
That's yeah. ridiculous. It's different. Now, now I love about American states. The, the rules and laws are different from state to state. So it's always fascinating <laughs> to hear like that's, how that's the policy really in one place is different. Jerry, it's been two hours and 45 minutes and I want to give you the opportunity to duck out of here if you don't want to stay and keep talking because we will continue to digress and ask you questions. We are absolutely fascinated with your work and we love it. We want to encourage people to buy this book. This is Jerry's book along with uh, Sherry Swiney, Sweeney. Pardon me. It's called uh, An Amazing Journey into the Psychotic Mind, Breaking the Spell of the Ivory Tower. Um, obviously, you can also, it uh, looks like you can hire Jerry to uh, as under the Mace Energy Method if you're feeling like you need help or hire well, one of I'm, these other I'm, coaches. I'm backed up into uh, March right now. I'll, I'll bet you are. <laughs> well, you do a lot of publicity on the internet, so it makes you into a very March popular individual, year. even if you do have this to pay attention on the line. So. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, it's closing on 10 o'clock. Uh, i got to take a shower and hit the sack. Yeah, I don't think anybody's going to listen to this for two hours. Yeah, and no worries. Minutes. <laughs> You'd have to break it up to get get them. Oh, to they will. They will. You, if you look up at the top, Jerry, it's we're running about seventy people right now, and we have been pretty much the whole time. That's uh, that's yeah. this is typical for our crowd. They're going to listen for another two hours and just hang out. We've got a it's, we've got a strange audience that appreciates this yeah. kind of long format, but uh, we do we do appreciate that now. YouTube uses the artificial intelligence to create a transcript, and with that transcript, there are timestamps. So anybody yeah. that uh, you know could, that wants to go back and find specific stuff, they can roll through the transcript click the hour mark and then it'll jump you up to 20 minutes here 30 minutes there so that is helpful so yeah we'll have like a table of contents to the video i guess and sort yeah. of closing remarks here maybe the topic of how do you detach from fear how do you recharge yourself what gives you courage what are the positive sort of takeaways that people can have tonight well i watch what comes into my head you know, I, I, I get exercise um, and I, I read a lot of Swedenborg. I read an, nice. I'm reading Swedenborg every day. I mean, I've read virtually a, a lot of what he has to say. And there is a, um, if you don't, don't want to get into the reading of it, there's a um, website on YouTube called Off the Left Eye, where you could okay. do a search on that. And Curtis does a wonderful job of summarizing a lot of Swedenborg's work in videos. So you can okay. get these short blurbs without having to wade through all these complex concepts in the books. We awesome. did find off the left eye from, from a few years back. Eye. It's good stuff. Awesome. Well, thanks okay, so much for joining us, Unless you guys have Jerry. any final questions, I'm going to sign off for the night. No, just a lot no, of thank No, I think we're all good. We really appreciate you. Yeah. Have a great night, Jerry. Thank you Definitely so much. Definitely come back again. Okay. Take care. Yep. Good night. Good night. Woohoo. Wow. Wow. <laughs> I always blew my mind. Took a lot of notes. That was a fascinating uh, mixed. I, I find it to be a little more mixed bag than what he was making it out where, you know, it, as an overall, he puts it as it's all negative entities and they're all just doing destructive things. But then you hear some of the other odd odds and end story sets. And even inside those, there's a bunch of different things. Like that's a, that's a real mixed bag of, 
entities, it sounds like to me. It is. The, there it sounds was more talk complicated of, than what it's easy to describe, right? There was talk of so-called yeah. guardian angels. Real complicated. Like a devil on one shoulder and guardian angels on the other. So there's this in interference pattern running between negative and positive and an angel on one shoulder may be encouraging you to do <clears> the right thing and say there will be consequences and then sort of like the old cartoons used to demonstrate this a lot when cartoons yeah. were yeah. showing the, the truth of the world yeah angel on one shoulder a devil on the other certainly i guess there's other talks of uh, what people might call the the daemon or the holy garden angel or a voice that is more beneficial i don't know if that's going to be seen in a prison or a psych ward probably not something that he was experiencing the the people who were in touch with a higher mind or angels or something <laughs> to that effect so his his background in well, and I'm sure that's part of the, the danger of being in that position is he doesn't get the good ones. He's only seeing the negative. I'm sure there's right. people that also still have voices that aren't telling them to stab people. You're just not having to deal with those people in a prison, like you say. Yeah. The fishing, like, go fishing that... don't sound so bad. <laughs> Unless the guy was like suffering all the time with these negative thoughts. And so, <laughs> but I guess you could do that when you're not fishing too. <laughs> well, to me, it makes sense that, you know, if the means to an end is to aggravate and drain the energy of the individual, some voices are going to use a long game <laughs> instead of trying to just, you know, aggravate the guy to the maximum as fast as possible and get as much off of him as possible instead like okay let's build this guy up a little bit and then we'll bleed yeah. the balloon afterwards you know so to me that's what i mean it's it's more uh complicated i mm -hmm. don't think that jerry's necessarily wrong i don't think that they're in all these experiences that i've ever read or heard about there's not like a middle ground you either have like helper what people would call guardian angel types mm -hmm. or you have other entities that are either ignorant or intelligent but they're always uh a net negative i guess is the way to say it you know that it's not it doesn't some are well, more negative than others maybe but it's not like they go back and forth between being truly helpful and then negative it's like if they're helpful then overall so, it's still negative they, you know? but when they say like okay so it drained you well then when you also tell me stories about how that same person could take 13 shots of 50,000 volt electricity, you know, a dog bite, like it's nothing and make friends with the dog. Well, let's pretend like this person had a hundred points of energy. Like it was a video game. Well, let's say throughout the day, you typically, you know, every you're up for, you know, 16 hours out of a hundred points, you use like eight, you know, eight times 16 or whatever you're, you're, you're using a calculated measure like myself. Let's say I go out and I go out and do a whole bunch of work in the morning. Cause the weather's real nice. I got to take a fucking nap in the afternoon because I've done depleted my energy stores throughout the day. So now if this person is experiencing an entity that allows them to do superhuman things, would that not leave when you quit being superhuman? Would you not be deplete? Would it's like I didn't the energy 
had to come from somewhere. It's still coming from you. You used up your future energy that you were going to have all in one shot, you know? So, I mean, did it really drain you or did you burn it up in those moments where you were being superhuman? Yeah, Rachel said uh, something about it's an ex it's an exchange. Was that what you said, Rachel? Yeah, sorry, I'm making some things. Um, so, um, for people who are familiar with Carlos Castaneda's, he describes these types of entities in the dream realm, um, and it's an exchange. So they're absolutely 100% depleting this person, but building them back up because that's the exchange. What do you want? You want to be invincible? You got it. The only the only trade-off is that Emptiness. I get to yeah, you're you empty. Take all that energy back. And yeah. more or something. So your soul is not your own if someone else is holding on to it and using it. We are in a relationship. That's mm -hmm. you know, it's a parasitic agreement. You're like, okay, I'm taking this on. This is it's still an agreement. It's still an agreement. If you know about it right. and you so don't because are you also being a parasite? You're like, yeah, this dude gets to be fucking invincible. Like, all I get's a little bit of energy. Like, you know, who's being the parasite here? Yeah. Totally. Totally. Especially if it's a, a person that's a heavy drug user, their life is pretty low and uneventful in the long run. Sure, they get high, but other than that, it's pretty depressing, I would think. And then this entity comes and and gives it all this attention. And even though it's negative, it's something so exciting and terrible. I mean, you can't forget seeing a shadow person. Right. And that might lead to a delusion of grandeur or that person might become a cult leader with esoteric secrets that no one else has. And then to be able to sit down in a room with a group of people just wow tell me your stories of the occult sciences and you've got knowledge of the other side so then that kind of feeds the identity of the person inflating the ego and then leading more people down a dark path to being fed on i mean how we is that, that story any different than the the biblical original stories where supposedly the the fallen angels taught men the mathematics and and the other different arts like that right, metallurgy and all that stuff story? how is it any how's that story any different i'd say there's not really a lot of divergence here i mean well the plus ben you know that some people's theory is that the uh demons that exist are not dead humans or fallen angels from heaven that actually what happened was the heaven now this is a mostly from michael heiser but there are other he he's just the one that brought it to light and he's he's passed away now but he's a christian guy and uh, what he discovered was that the theory was okay so the watchers come down they get in trouble for fucking around with human women and that creates that manifests new things into oh, the now world they have to watch women get fucked forever them cucks it's true it's They're true. Cucks. But the spirits of the creatures that the watchers created by laying with human women, supposedly that's what 
the actual demons are and not fallen angels and not the spirits of dead human beings, but that the strange amalgamated spirits that went into the combined human woman slash watcher conjunction, when that thing dies, that's the spirit that's set loose that becomes the entity that inhabits this the plane. That's uh, <laughs> right. <there>. Supercut <laughs> super ghost. <laughs> it's like maybe a tan and ivor or a mediator so, between two people. There's that sort of energy. It's interesting that we asked sort of the thought form question of the egregore. Does this sort of negative voice entity thing want to create a negative thought form topo egregore sort of companion that this person can then have a relationship with maybe in yeah, the form of a thank you buy or sucky buy really onto that idea at all so i just mm -hmm. dropped it <laughs> like, yeah i'm not sure if he knows what the, the term egregore means he might mm -hmm. not know what an egregore is we had some other yeah. questions about occult sciences and ouija boards and perhaps summoning demons like intentionally using ritual magic with seals and names and things and to math. say hey i want to talk to you and then getting uh invocation or evocation i don't think that that's going to go very well for people who want to play with that stuff if they're signing contracts with these known demons from goetia or other traditions and i will say as far as other holy books we talked about the bible and the 23rd psalm but how, found, how, okay found, okay so when you keep saying demons though and mm -hmm. signing a contract with a demon how right. is it any different when you agree to serve like whether it doesn't matter whether you're a heathen and you're agreeing to do the things the seer supposedly like or are good or whether you're christian is god like either way, you got some fucking somebody fucking telling you what to do. Like, oh, you mm -hmm. gotta serve me. Ah, you're on my side, shit. Like, how is it any different? How is it any different to hear a voice or to read a holy book and then have <laughs> that directing your life? Like, like, cause, like, okay, so, so as a heathen, mm -hmm. when you look at Odin, Odin had. Yugen and Moonen. That was a rather than angels. That was two crows or two ravens, you know. And then he had two wolves that are less that are uh, lesser well known. Um, that he also had, and he fed them wolves nof nothing but meat. All the meat he didn't eat apparently eat meat because he gave them all the meat off of his table. Um, so. What I take from that is, is definitely, and I've always been on this, that let's say I'm in a situation where I need some kind of crazy ass strength. Well, not all of these things, because I think that there's, he, he wasn't making a differentiation with a lot of things, because we could have went with some of these things were dead humans. Some of them were angels. Some of them were demons. Some of them were thought forms. They you are know? deceivers, so they're not going to say Cucks, what they are. Yeah, so it's like. Yeah, some of them were cucks. Like, mm -hmm. there's a whole lot of different things we got going on here. And, you know, and obviously he has one pantheon of beings that he feels like he interacts with 
and is good. And that would be angels and uh, what they consider God. Uh, Swedenborg was a heavy Christian. Um, so they're not saying all entities are bad. So what if this entity, you know, they're just picking a side on things. It's, it's a, a, a very interesting thing. But from a, like an Odinist position, Odin didn't choose either side. Like sometimes he wanted, like, let's say I'm in a situation where I want that crazy strength. Uh, it's, that's not always going to be bad. Like maybe I don't want to do what them fucking guards are telling me to do. You know, like if, if you've never been to prison, like there's some days you just get tired of being told what to do. You know, sometimes you're in a fight for your life for something. Maybe you need that. Uh, that's that needs to be available to you. Maybe you need the higher thinking. And from the way I've always, from the way as an Odinist, I've always taken it as you, you were supposed to be the middle ground. I'm sometimes I do this one side, sometimes going up and trying to have a nice peaceful conversation is the way to go. Sometimes stabbing a sound bitch in the damn, in the damn eye is the way to go. You know, I want to have both. Like, you know, just depends on the situation. Situational awareness. Yeah. Yeah. In terms of other holy books, uh, 23rd Psalm from the Bible, I also found in the Quran that there was talks of a whisperer that might be compared to a jinn. Now we're asking about other traditions not necessarily religious but folk stories mythologies and other things that are outside of judaism islam and what's the other one uh, did i say judaism islam christianity those three uh are there stories of this the, the abrahamic, sure the abrahamic sure. Uh, pantheon see and even mm -hmm. even cozy over here said it some some angels are dickheads too and it says even in their Bible that angels are liars, like, and that they have their own self-serving agendas. Well, doesn't that sound like the other side? Like, you know, here I am in the middle, stuck mm -hmm. in the middle with you, right? Mm -hmm. Like, and, and neither side has the physical ability to affect this plane, which is the thing that I say. Like, mm -hmm. that's part of why angels mm -hmm. are such nags. These etheric beings are such nags and always wanting to nag at people because they can't affect physical reality the way we can. And they want to. They want to see it happen. They want to be able to manifest these changes. They just can't do it. You're on mute, Jim. Oh, and you might be talking to Rachel. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, I wonder if they liked communicating in English. Or if someone was bilingual, would it be in both languages that these voices would talk to them? That's something that I are they even are they even talking in a language since it's inside of your head and not being heard by your ears? So you're just taking a thought and then interpreting it into English. Like, is there even actually a language behind what they're saying? I've had this experience one time. I, I went to a farm store. I was just poking around, looking around. I thought, like, I'm going to stroll down the gun aisle. So I'm, like, cruising around, looking at guns. Some, the old guy that worked there was showing a gun to somebody. And then then, they, then he's like, oh, well, look over here. And so they went off down the 
down to the other end of the store and I like look down and there's a he left a pistol on the counter and this voice is like steal it 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 and I was just like ah I was like I I was like I gotta take it I gotta take it but I was like no no that's crazy like why I'd get the hell out of there because I it was like just an overpowering urge to take this gun and it was there were cameras you know, I wouldn't have gotten away with it, but it was that voice. And it wasn't me, because, like, I'm not, like, looking for stuff to steal. It was bizarre. But it was a moment that of weakness, sort of, or just not even trying, you know, the whatever that urge or voice came through. Very bizarre. <laughs> See, and then, and then, like, when you look at, occult uh idea ideology you have differences between like a, a principality which uh a principality is a very strong thing and i would say that what uh jim's talking about that's a basic principality to like theft take things if you have that chance they all that's a general energy that's just out there um one of the one of the only ways that I've ever been able to actually uh, put almost an almost physical example to it is when you see dogs in a pack, and all of a sudden you have six dogs, and five of them or four of or four of them don't have anything to do. They're just like looking around, fucking off. Two of them get into a fight, and then all of them will jump one of them. Four of them will pick one of will pick one of them out of that two. And jump one of them. And all of a sudden, it's a five-on-one fight. And there's, and they were friends before that. And they might even be friends tomorrow. But you can literally feel that energetic shift happen. Like something is, is there. And that's a principality. And I don't think that that has a whole lot of... Uh, variance to it i don't think it you know it's pretty much got one one area that it wants it wants this one thing as opposed to like go rob this pot field and go do all these other things and park your car here and walk here and then go over here and after you've collected your money and had your fun we want our fun too so we want to go fishing that's a whole fucking different that's that's very complex you know as opposed to just basic violence or basic theft like the 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 situation presented itself for you and so that energetic void was there like hey something needs to bite somebody needs to steal this fucking thing <laughs> hey yeah you know? exactly and, yeah those are maybe those are the intrusive thoughts where if there's a a social system in place to say you know stealing is not good you know don't steal if these are the 10 commandments we you know don't don't murder don't steal don't you know these things like maybe the lawyer will say don't libel other people there's these moral uh arrangements in place to maintain a society so if there's a society that we have in america now and it's sort of breaking down the hierarchy of the the police are not responding to calls and People with meth addictions are kind of allowed to go into malls and take whatever they want. And the 
employees are just stepping aside and like recording. I got you on video. I got you on video. I saw what you did, but you know, please don't hurt me. Just walk out. We're going to claim the insurance thing. The social fabric of this arrangement of getting along and doing well is breaking down the intrusive voices in people's minds to say, you know, you can get away with these crimes now. You can steal the copper from the construction site, throw it in a limo, and drive away. These in, these intrusive thoughts are instructing people to do things to then get them more drugs, I suppose. And no one's really pushing back against this. There's no sheriff in town. There's no Barney Fife in Mayberry anymore. It seems like an open-air prison. The questions we would then need to ask are what are we what are we to do about it? How do we stand up against this? How do we defend ourselves? So did the Abrahamic order because as a heathens, we don't have a, a set list of rules. Now, by making those ten commandments, did you in 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 the same fashion the day that those ten commandments had appeared, did you basically just by the nature of the world, you made 10 positive things, the internet, mm -hmm. uh, 10 automatic negative things that appeared, basically then principalities that appeared that are going to naturally be negative in order to counteract this positive. And so you ought to... So You've got a thousand, you know, riding society. These 10 principalities have been charging and gaining power. Right, right. So the equal and opposite reaction to the don't murder people. Now we're talking about murder. So now you're yeah. saying murder is an idea. Murder the hell out of people. Some people aren't going to do it. Those yeah. are the good people. But those are the people that are more likely to be murdered than the people to defend themselves against the murder sure yeah, yeah that gets into yeah. philosophy certainly yeah and then in america with i guess people having conceal and carry guns we have a culture in america of self-defense and things which is different from other countries who don't carry weapons and sidearms Well, yeah, that's I mean, when you look at that, the the countries that they don't have actually worse rates of like Australia, where the gun, the gun, anti-gun crowd talks mm -hmm. how gun violence went down. What they didn't, you know, talk about is that uh, home invasion skyrocketed, rape skyrocketed, yeah. uh, all every other violent uh crime that didn't include a gun skyrocketed because now nobody had fear where like even now even if you see know a woman lives at home alone in, in america like you take switzerland where basically everybody has to have a gun that kind of thing doesn't exist because you don't want to get shot <laughs> getting shot sucks it's, it's not a good time <laughs> 
Don't want to get tased. Don't want to get uh, pepper spray. Bit by dogs. Don't want to get bit by dogs. Yeah. Right. Don't. Pepper spray isn't that bad. That's why. That's why nobody cares. I was like, that's why I yelled, "Suit them up." Most of, most of the ones sure. that are a little ornery, like pepper spray, don't bother me much either. I've never been hit with. There's a level that sticks to you, and it's more mm -hmm. of a foam, and it's supposed to really be hot and make it feel like your skin's on fire. I've never done that. I've watched dudes do it. One dude, this was great. I was in the hole, right? And uh, this guy, he's out and he'd fucked up so much. Occasionally, they will take away, like, you can't even be in the hole because they got to have, like, more access to you. So they put you out like this just metal cage that's just open and then they can reach in from the sides and whatnot. And so he's out in that, and the guy's down to having nothing but, like, one of them hospital things that they put so you can pee in your bed without getting up. Bed and, uh, no, urinal. not the pan, the jar thing that's, you know. Yeah, like urinal. Really yeah. And he has one of those, and the guard walks up, and he just chucks it right in the guard's face. And there's actually three guards, and it hits that guard's face and splits and hits the other two in the face also. <laughs> fucking laugh. It's so fucking hard. And they got they walk in, and that guy, mm -hmm. and they tell him to cuff up. And he's like, suit him up then. And they unleash the pepper spray. And yeah. he drops and starts doing push-ups while they're hitting him with the pepper spray. And they unload the whole can of pepper spray on him. Oh, I was laughing so fucking hard. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, SB, for, for joining us and being a uh, professional host. When we're just being little silly guys wanting oh, to play some guitar solo music. It's kind of oh, no, no, hey, hey, you know, we'll have to find out during the next invite if Jerry's still interested to come back after he found out what kind of stuff we do at the beginning, middle, and end of our shows. <laughs> I realize I got some strange symbol symbols beside behind mm -hmm. me, and we got we we have some uh strange uh methodologies here. I mean, he admitted Certainly. that he's an adrenaline junkie, and he told yeah. us some stories of some what I would call some pretty fucking high risk behavior, so yeah, 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 that, you know. It goes both ways. We we did ask him about music. I didn't specify Christian band. Oh, he well, mentioned I think he likes the Mannheim the Steamroller is pretty Christian. Now the Eagles are the opposite of Christian. Okay. Okay. But Mannheim Steamroller, I would say there's a pretty good chance those guys are. I bet the guy that founded it's a Christian because they're always playing Christmas music. Right. And they're always okay. playing the Chris. You know. Oh, Christmas. I mean, you gotta love Jesus holiday. if you're gonna play Christmas music. I mean, yes, I love Jesus, true. but I don't even like Christmas music. So. Christmas music sucks. It's just horrible. Do the negative do the negative voices not want you to sing Christmas carols, or do they want you to to drive other people insane? That's a good question. I think the negative voices definitely are encouraging people to teach their kids to go out in the middle of the night in the snow and right. ring doorbells and sing at people and, that never and, asked and to impersonate be Mariah Carey Christmas uh, voice. <laughs> That's even worse. The idea that now that you could get carolers and you Santa can't even baby. take solace in the idea that it's it's Jesus music. Like mm -hmm. now you open the door and they're gonna sing White Christmas by Bing Crosby. Like you little kids, get the fuck off my porch. <laughs> Well, yeah, I didn't eat nothing yet, so I better bounce out of here, you guys. Yeah, replenish your energy, certainly. Good night, Sean. Have fun. I'll talk to you guys uh, sometime soon. So, and I'm just gonna, so I'm gonna click the leave studio button, not end stream. Button. Don't end I, stream. Don't end the stream. Nope, no, don't end Keep the stream. So. Okay, <laughs> bye.
Goodbye. Yeah, I, we generated a lot more questions. I think we'll just yeah. keep generating more questions, exploring this topic, and uh, just finding out more. Jerry was talking about how everything in the media is mirroring these uh, suggestions from the dark voices. Yes. That's super fascinating. Yeah. Super fascinating. I wonder if they're uh, whispering in the ears of the powers that be, you know, even more than we'd want. Putting the trigger words in the teleprompter so the newscasters read the words. Some of those might be BLM, like Black Lives Matter, but now white people are angry that their lives don't matter. It's this sort of polarization and divisiveness in all of the news stories. Even the war on terror is just an ongoing terror campaign against people, just like you and me. We're terrorized constantly in the reporting of the the murders and the police brutality and certain events. Uh, this is where it gets really difficult to even talk about stuff on the platform that we're streaming on. If we say certain names of individuals, then the AI kind of triggers the no, 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 can't talk about that. You know, um, I'm thinking guys who are uh, having their uh, neck being knelt upon and now they become sainted by certain members of communities in certain cities in like Minneapolis. Those sorts of um, louche events, maybe uh, false flag activities, what's going on in the Middle East right now with certain countries that uh, have a certain group of people. I don't know if they're ethnic or religious or cultural or genetic or what the deal is over there. Certainly something stirring up there. Our history. Have, have with... you ever been in a situation like that where you're self-aware enough to realize that you're in a situation and you're reacting to the like especially in the last so many years because i've been transitioned into more of a leadership type roles uh instead of just an independent role where i have a lot more leadership responsibilities there's times that the things that i'm doing aren't even really my choice you know i uh, whether i would choose a different thing but there's sometimes you're you, you have to go with what the situation dictates whether you like it or not um and as a leader you're able to kind of choose those things but there's some of those moments you just can't there's it, it's out of your control this this is the way this is playing out and sometimes even your position in it you have almost no choice but to play it out in such a way even though you yeah. see the consequences yeah that are going to and repercussions that are going to happen later because of this and you would just as soon not suffer those repercussions you still have to do this yeah very true there is nuance there certainly slow to judgment of political figures and this might be a very unpopular opinion, but you know, posting political figures on Instagram or Twitter or wherever, and then saying they're the devil or they're the worst person alive or the best person alive. We are 
in an election year in the United States of America. People are going to vote as hard as they can to find hope and change. Maybe if there is an election, I think that whole cycle is a louche festival designed to make everybody aggravated and angry and just upset and not proud to be an American if they don't like who's voted in. We do have local jurisdictions and communities, county levels, and your local sheriff is probably the person that you'd want to get to know and talk with and understand the neighbors in your area, certainly. There are solutions. Yeah, that is really where you can make a difference. And uh, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not into voting because I don't think that it really matters what you or I pick for the president or things like that. Yeah. Um, but you know, on a local level, yes. Sure. And those politicians and those leaders, they are just as susceptible to the negative inner monologue that's feeding on their ego to say, you are an important politician. Those hookers belong to you. That blow is your reward. Go and do all the terrible, sinful things, Pastor. Yes, very good. Lead your lead your flock into a situation where they discover your your sins, and then Jerry Fowler will go on and apologize for your actions and become more popular for your redemption cycle. So there's there's this human drama element, the rise and the fall, and then the re resolution and the the redemption story, certainly. That's very interesting with all of the, the nuance of the human experience. And as Balderson's talking about the momentum, the sort of energy track that people kind of find themselves on as they take on more responsibility, as they show up on a public platform and they begin to talk and then other voices begin to support them and they're, they meet the resistance. So that's sort of the talk of the resistance. Do we ever get to ask Jerry about batteries and resistance? I wonder what he would have said about batteries, resistance, and that sort of thing. Yeah, that's a pretty good point. It's very interesting about how in, in the car battery, if it drops all the way to no juice, then the battery's dead forever. Yeah. Exactly. And and again, it, it, it's just even the way I like the talks that I give where you have three minds, definitely that that root mind, that Billy mind, uh, that one is considered darker and more aggressive, angrier uh, than the higher mind, than the more uh, airy fairy philosophical mind. Um because that one is more of your uh it's your root that's you protect your home like that's that's where your protection's coming from and while again it's like let's say we get into a situation and a stranger comes up well one side of me is going to be saying oh hey have a nice conversation make a new friend another side of me is going to be saying smoke that motherfucker before he comes and starts stealing things, you know, before he yeah. causes problems. And I'm going to sit there in between those two things 
and weigh and measure how this person's acting. And maybe they are a person that I can talk to and have a good time with and make a new friend and develop a relationship. Maybe there's somebody that's only looking for what they can take from me. And I really ought to go kneecap that fucker and get him out of here. You know, uh, I'm not really against either side. Again, it's that discernment. And I, I feel like I need both sides. I need both things. I don't want to just be always the be friendly, be airy fairy, things like that. That situation doesn't always help. Uh, I live out where you can watch the movie. They talk about a dude was shot right down on Main Street in the nearest town next to me. Like, and it took the cops two or three days to show up. Like, if you're counting on that help, you in a lot of trouble. That guy was collecting flies before the cops got there. Like, he cheated. Yeah. You know? I mean, that that's not going down. So you've got, like, every people that have lived just exclusively in a city where all these services are immediately available where somebody else will come take your problem that developed an entire way of thinking that the rest that those of us that don't live in those cities yeah have and i've got to be very self-aware of what's going on and which which person am i going to be am i going to be the one that makes sure nothing comes and you know the the whole divine feminine and the divine masculine the do no harm and the take no shit which one do I need to, which, which one of these things do I need to turn on and tap into? Yeah. And that's why I chose the King Crimson song, 21st century schizoid man, the man in the modern century living in a city has such a split mind between not having a way with nature, not growing his own food, not building his own homestead, not using tools <laughs> to work the land and till the soil, the person in the concrete jungle is so far removed from natural cycles and rhythms that the intrusive voice is saying, this is a great thing. It, it's great to live in the 15-minute city. It's great to have the convenience of the the new store where you just, you know, scan your phone to get in and then you just put things in the automation, the robots, this sort of, it's good to have progress. And maybe those are the intrusive thoughts saying progress is good and keep pushing, 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 pushing for more equality and social justice and notice your traumas. So the lie on the news a lot of the times has to do with gender identities and personal identities and sexual identities and things that make you different from other people. And when you're in a city and the fashions on the outward, how you dress puts you in a certain class. If you go to New York City and you're walking downtown, you can probably tell who's wealthy and who's wearing a suit and who's stepping into a limousine and then who's serving that person at mcdonald's who's the homeless person on the street there's such a variance in a city center and with all of the bars all the liquor license and the availability of alcohol in these cities and the recreation being go to a bar drink the alcohol drink the spirit 
as the entertainment in the city. That's how the cities make their money. Even small towns with their municipal liquor license, that's how the counties make up their budget is by selling alcohol to people. So now we have a real uh, issue here to figure out if our modern civilization is relying on the so-called sin taxes to sell people government uh, permissible THC, marijuana, uh, nicotine, cigarettes, alcohol, all of these so-called sin-taxed items to make up the revenue, then our whole modern civilization is built on something that is not beneficial to people if it's self-sustaining itself by giving people alcohol. And they'll say, well, drink in moderation. And if you're pregnant, don't smoke these cigarettes. So they give you the warning. They tell you it's not a great thing, but then the government benefits from it. Your local your local school board, your local police station, your firefighters, part of their paycheck comes from what? Is it coming from a local liquor license at a sports bar? At a stripper and now bar? You're at a bar? And now the prices are celebrated at that point. Right, right. Right. Yeah. And how long has it been that way? It's this sort of so-called modern civilization where you build a wall around a city and then you worship a king and then he gets all the gold. And is is it always a negative entity at the top of this leading humanity in this? But I mean, but I mean, at some point in time, like when you look at the tithe system, uh, for me, then at one point in time the tithe system and as far as heathens were concerned you went and gave the yarrow a portion of your best grain now the part of the reason that you gave him the very best grain is because the yarrow was going to set aside the seed crop for the next year because that's that was part of the whole you're planting his lands he's getting a portion you're getting a portion you would give him your best because now next year when i go to plant those those were the best seeds they should produce the best crops and we both keep coming up and everybody raises so there was a symbiosis with that entire system uh to it so not it wasn't always we can say that it's negative but it's not always negative it just has to again be dependent on the person and using your own discernment and when you notice that things a system has went foul that's when uh, you even look at our founding fathers, uh, what is it, Jefferson that said when occasionally the life tree of liberty must be refreshed with the blood of patriots, that's the good guys, and tyrants, that's the mm-hmm. bad guys. He said good guys first, and he said occasionally, not once in a lifetime, not once in recorded history, he said occasionally. So this is something that's going to happen from time to time. The bad people are going to yeah. get in, yeah. and then that's going to start a, a little cycle of bad shitheads. And then the good people got to eventually get tired of it and go in and say, eh, eh, and change the cycle back up. And then eventually it goes back down. It, it, it's everything that I can tell in this reality that we yeah. live in works yeah. in cycles. Yeah. And you just have to be an active part of the cycle. 
and we're seeing a lot of passive aggressive men sitting around waiting for the collapse just waiting for the system yeah. to collapse there's nothing about how they're going to be going to i'm i'm you know but i'm gonna be a warlord i've got i've got my bitcoin <laughs> saved up for a rainy day just waiting for the dollar to collapse and then i'll be the richest person yeah. on the internet because i've got my bitcoin going to take out the the fucking federal banks yeah the the the, the Federal Reserve, FedCoin, CBDC, all the new technologies enslaving man. It's going to happen, and there's nothing I can do about it. Just let it happen. And then the accelerationists wanting wanting things to get worse, so the rapture will just be triggered, that, that Jesus Christ will return and save the saints, and then other sort of Armageddon scenarios and apocalyptic revealings of all the hidden information and the QAnon folks saying, yeah, you know, Hillary's going to go to prison for real sometime soon before she's, before she breaks a sweat, before she starts sweating. I heard Hillary doesn't sweat. You know, at, at some point in time, <laughs> even in prison, they don't want those people that are old like that. Like that bitch has got to be where she's just like her, the medical bill to try and keep her in prison would be freaking phenomenal would just yeah. be <laughs> like they literally let i've no i've been in prison with they let dudes out when they're like yeah you're too old and de decrepit to even do anything anymore yeah, you can't do crime anymore you don't want to pay your medical bills no more so we're cutting you out and then they call it yeah. uh uh it's some humanitarian thing that they call it making it out like they're being nice guys about it uh, actually, one of the Gray brothers was let out for a little while. Uh, the really famous uh, mobsters from uh, Britain, mm -hmm. the one for like the last six months of his life, not too long ago, was let out. And they're like, yeah, you're you're taking up too much medical money. We got to cut you out of here. You ain't hurt nobody no more. Fuck it. <laughs> yeah. And that's Hillary. What's she going to do now? Wear yeah, a diaper, right? Fall on stage. <laughs> hmm. She can't even wipe her own ass now. Yeah, mm -hmm. and part of the narrative seems to be just baiting us. Just say, "Go ahead, mock, mock all the leaders." Just fall into the pattern of mocking every leader, so that any leader that rises up gets pushed down so any guy who stands up, up here's my question right it, it's oh. almost like the pit we're at an epitome of a stagnant system and yeah. it's not just it's not even just politics it's everything there's right. no new new big good actors there's no new big politicians it's just like we're up there with decrepit ass joe biden and decrepit ass donald trump yeah. and freaking we were just talking about decrepit ass hillary clinton None of these people would even be alive to see the repercussions of their decisions. Like that's insane. They don't, they don't even have to pay the price for what they did like good or bad. They don't get to see either side. They're just, this is insane. You know, we're, and we're talking yeah. about, Hey, so it wasn't very many years ago. It was uh, Bill Clinton who was, you know, on the younger end of the spectrum of things. Uh, you had Obama, you had younger, viable people, uh, and now everybody's old and decrepit. And again, same thing in movies. 
Like you're seeing like freaking Harrison Ford out there playing playing in a new Indiana Jones. Like in he when he right. was just playing Han Solo as he's running down the thing. He can't even act like he's running anymore. You look like an old man gimpling along. Like, and you're supposed to be an action hero. I mean, come on. And they can't find any new stars, apparently, or musicians. You got old ass Madonna out there. We've all seen the the video of her like out there looking like she's having a little bit of a seizure. With her she's, adult like, diaper on. Yeah, with her adult diaper on. Yeah. Like, and we just saw the Super Bowl where it was, uh, uh, like all the like. I don't know, all the rappers from the freaking 80s and stuff, uh, Jay-Z and people like that, all old as shit, Dr. Dre, every one of them out there freaking like, I, I took some Metamucil, I got to get to bed before 7.30 though. And Rage Against the Machine is now Rage raging on behalf of the machine. Yeah, why are we even talking about these people? Yeah, the, the, like, ce the celebrity worship... I don't know. Maybe that's they an intrusive thought. Is it intrusive all thoughts in the mind to say, I need to worship these celebrities? I'm, I need to become addicted to following the lives of these celebrities. And with so much energy, yeah. the theme of tonight is energy and so much energy and only so many hours in the day, the time devoted to following, I don't know, politician that you love and or hate or despise attracting and repelling that energy a, a pop singer justin bieber is he still popular in sync backstreet boys mickey mouse club members movie stars all this sort of celebrity worship i don't know athletes athletes sports illustrated magazine they are no longer in existence i guess we're we're at a different point in in the timeline history where we used to have beautiful women on magazines <laughs> once a year. Call it the swimsuit issue. Physically fit, strong they fired, they bodies. They fired the whole staff. Did you see that? They fired yeah. the whole uh, Sports Illustrated staff on yep. that. Yep. I wonder because how the, many the times license, that to happen. The license <laughs> wasn't paid because the brand was worthless after putting on the cover <laughs> – you know, different sized bodies, which are not athletic at all. And then different gendered individuals, some confusion there. And of course, people were like, that's not an athlete. That's not a sports hero on the cover. I'm canceling my subscription support of this thing. So the, the demoralization campaign from the media is in full effect. I don't know how much longer we're going to have to go to be even more demoralized. And my, my final closing thought is with a solution-oriented sort of leadership thing, well, that's, that's the father. That's the man who marries a woman, who raises a family, and then defends that family unit, maybe on a homestead, whatever it is. What you're saying is a centralized in-home leadership. Yes. Not uh, you're giving your leadership out, whether it be to a polit political figure, whether it be to a celebrity that you're idol worshiping, whether it be to a church figure. Yes. Uh, you know, that's all, all of that is a giving out of what uh, 
mythologically we would call the Promethean flame, where you have your divine uh, right of free will and, and you know, your own, own self and your ability to act on that. You have yeah. given that away to other people. And now what you're talking about is now uh, pulling that back home and fracturing instead of having one giant societal system where everybody's kind of in this drone of the same thing. Uh, I mean, even the way music's gone, like music, country and rap are the same thing now, aren't they? Yeah. And pop music. Like, it's just all one kind of just one noise. It like, sounds and, terrible. And instead, and instead we're, it's fracturing back into tribal systems because if each home is led by one figure whether it be the man or the woman of the home or whether it's a split thing, it's going to be vastly different than the neighbor or the neighbor down there, which is when we look at old Germania, even though they were mostly entirely heathen with some exceptions, uh, even inside of the heathen worship, we find vastly different stories and traditions. Like, cause this tribe here didn't practice the same way as the tribe over there. So it took this whole universalist. It's an entirely different push than the universalist push, which is what we've been seeing for a very long time. And I know Rachel's off puking hearing about the universalist, the same as me. She might be the only person I know that has as much vitriol about that shit as I do. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> She's laughing. Because <laughs> she knows it's true. She's like, Fuck them universalists. Like, she's all like, all, all, all like, oh, Miss Prissy. And then all of a sudden you say universalist. She's like, Yah! she's right. She becomes a heathen real quick. She's no longer a Celtic thing anymore once she hears universalist. <laughs> yes. And with Twitter, if Twitter is the homepage of the internet, Twitter, Reddit, Facebook, the, the public platform of Twitter is now called X. And if uh, X is the 24th letter of, of, of the alphabet, right? and we're getting on the X, X is the crosshairs, right? So if we're now in the crosshair, humanity, America, uh, I don't know, are we uh, feeling victimized in that way? Crosshairs like this. You tilt it a little bit, like a swastika. Not the same. Not the same symbolism. And that gets into the interest, mm -hmm. intricacies of symbolism. Yeah. When you're looking yeah. at that, like like uh, this symbol, that's the symbol of the sun. You that's know, the that's timeout, right? In sports, this is timeout. In all sports, that's the timeout. It is. It's the timeout. <laughs> It is. I'm glad they we can agree have, on that. They need to have, go have a, a, a gay moment or something. That's Find some common common ground there. That <laughs> we're all taking the time out together. And I see this as the torture cross. Uh, see, see, so that's fascinating. Okay, Jim. Now this, and I agree that when we've looked, like you look historically, that X like this, where you're going like this, like even look at like a Game of Thrones, where they yeah. uh, have. Yeah. Uh, Theon Greyjoy and they go to cut his dick off and he's on that thing and it's an X like that. But uh, when you look at the, like the runes and whatnot, that X is exchange. And so there, there's an exchange going on or a changeover. Uh, sometimes it's, it's considered gift, which again is an exchange um, where 
the thing with this, they've kind of changed everything over into that. So, because some of the things when I've been looking at, uh, like Thomas Sheridan has that Who Stole the All Father series, and he says that Christians never had the cross, and that was always Ermansel. And if you look, like Ermansel looks basically like the Christian, like the Christian cross, not quite mm -hmm. the same, but it's the same basic shape. Uh, where he says that uh, that was never a Christian symbol at all. Mm -hmm. And then I started looking at the X and it seems like, and uh, there's a number of people that are saying that he was crucified. It was an X like that, which is more of what medieval torture was like. Uh, you didn't see him putting them up on that cross. And then it takes away a lot of things like they had to come up with the whole two feet and one nail thing and whatnot, where it, it just would have been normal. It, the way that they were doing it. Um, but a lot of that was just to try and take and smooth over that transition into Germania because they couldn't take that area by force. They tried and they died. You know, two to Berg Forest, three Roman legions got wiped out to a man and it started the entire fall of the Roman Empire. So they had to come in with the other things. And that included taking the Germanic traditions and putting them all into the Christianity and then giving it back. Like here, you still get to do all the same things. We're just changing the name on the title. That's how the Romans played. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The Roman playbook. You betcha. And Alexander the Great, you know, basically the Semitic playbook. We might as well call it. Yeah. I love orange juice, <laughs> fruit juice, apple juice. If you send it, we'll get it to him. <laughs> the whitest kids you know. He's, he's, switching, he's switching out of Ricola. He needs vitamin C now. So that way I he need doesn't. Vitamin C. I need nurturing oh, fluids. Yeah, we need to charge up He's our batteries the again there is the sun is like five trillion miles away from him now there's no heat out of it whatsoever it's a cold He's, winter sun over <laughs> here in minnesota oranges yeah trying to stave off the scurvy that's for certain there's no scurvy in disneyland there's no scurvy in disneyland <laughs> Built in an orange grove. And Disney World, too. I haven't been able to have orange juice recently. The place that the one the best orange juice place here. I don't know. I think they went too long without cleaning their machines and had like a almost nobody outside of our house could tell, like because the people at the store tried it and everything. But they even admitted they're like, you they have to order an extra orange juice just for me and Brian. And they're like, yeah, you guys drink all of this. We understand what you're saying. We can't taste it. Like, yeah, it don't taste right. It tastes moldy. Like, it, it's a very hidden underlying flavor. But when you drink, you know, half a gallon of this a day and all of a sudden one, and all of a sudden they have a moldy flavor in them, I notice. Like, <laughs> slight alcohol bite of fermentation. 
it wasn't even fermenty. It was kind of moldy flavoring. Ooh. I think they probably yeah. need to do a severe flush. Like I got to do this with my equipment sometimes because yeah. you get build up inside the fittings and the little nooks and crannies the where the fittings, yeah, in the hose ends, things like that. And you got to take everything apart and just give it a thorough, thorough scrubbing and get every bit of everything out of it. That's why uh, any type of equipment like that really needs to be stainless steel if you're doing any type of uh, large scale production because you're, you're going to have to clean that regularly. Otherwise, the you know, in large scale, because if it's small scale, small buildup, large scale, large, large buildup, it don't take long before you got nastiness that really affects the quality of your products. I forgot to introduce... Uh... Belfagor to the show tonight on the Belfagor. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I, I played nice. I didn't get too happy with yeah, the, yeah, the overlays. Yeah, and you started out like 20 minutes just poking him, just poking for like 20 minutes. I'm like, holy shit, Alan, Alan Marcus is on it tonight. He's just going to fuck with him the whole show. No, no. I was like, <laughs> I had intended that introduction for a different guest, and it's the one we had queued up. And I'm like, you know, I like it. I was dancing to this all afternoon. Yeah, that was supposed to be for the melt. Supposed <laughs> to be for a spicier guest. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I did have to say that it's horrible, and I didn't apologize for it, but I, I did warn that it would be terrible and there'd be flashing <laughs> images and the music would be loud and it would be annoying and it would have high-pitched guitar squeals and no one should enjoy it but so like i so like if you're getting ready to drop just a rank ass fart in a room as long as you say i'm sorry before you drop it it's okay. <laughs> it's like putting a, a emoji after an insult in a text message it's okay <laughs> Actually, the emoji would be before the insult. Like, right. you know, he's like, I warned you, I gave you the emoji, and then you know, it's it's the technique of a youth pastor who wears his hat backwards and carries on a skateboard to be relevant to the kids. The people most needing to hear this message about the intrusive thoughts and the negative entities are probably going to love King Crimson and heavy metal music. And I don't know if that's really heavy metal, but just sort of the guitar solo. One of the guys I worked with who was clearly uh, a friend of drugs would always just have his headphones on at work and he'd just be banging his head and listening to that sort of music. And I didn't really want to drive that point home to ask, you know, is heavy heavy metal the the devil's music is it only used by you know satanists and dark occultists and that sort of thing because i know there are christian bands that you know have bass and guitar and drums and they sound heavy and they scream in their music <laughs> but i want to i, I want to go to the eagles together music. is crap that that is crap <laughs> yeah I got to listen to some Eagles music and drink some apple juice and eat some graham crackers and put on my grippy put on my grippy socks and yeah. Luckily for all of you spiders out there, there's no room for intrusive thoughts because we live in your mind. It's a comfy cabin. I got to tell you, if this if that was the entire thought process, if you had 
me and Jim and Alan Marcus and Sean and Rachel all sitting on your shoulders like, and all saying things. I don't even know what you're going to do. It's, it's That's going to be ugly. <laughs> It'll be interesting, that's for sure. It'll be very entertaining. Yeah, to watch closely to, to find the You might want the drugs. <laughs> These guys banish those intrusive thoughts with laughter and and weird whimsical ideas that catch you from nowhere. Where do they come from? Where do they go? Where do they go? We love you. See you next time. Same spider. Love channel. you guys. Good night. I don't like the drugs, but the drugs like me. <laughs>